Thank you for that. <laughs> Tonight's full of all sorts of mistakes. Hopefully you can hear me now. Can you hear me? Can somebody hear me out there? As I was saying, uh, this night's starting out great. As I was saying, I'm still muted. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Give me a second here. Test, 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 test. Okay, I'm fine. Okay, good. Thank you. All right. As I was saying, my wife just yelled in, Noel, you're fine. So <laughs> I was supposed to start at nine o'clock tonight as I'm starting now, but unfortunately, I put on here at 11 o'clock at night. So for those few of you out there who actually, you're going to get like the first three minutes of this video of me going, kind of a little embarrassing, but. Uh, it's a, this is my first ever live Q&A on YouTube. I do this every Friday night on my Discord channel, which is uh, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. See, I'm going to get the time wrong, but 7 p.m. Eastern time because I go live at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern time on Friday nights like I'm doing tonight. So thank you all for being here. Now, uh, some people asked in, uh, asked advanced questions uh, who could not be here. So this is a time for all of you who are here live. Uh, as people pile in to to ask questions, I'll be glad to answer them. And I also have like a list of a couple pages already of questions of people who said they can't be here and they want to ask. So before I get, get into those, I do want to show you guys um, something I just completed. These are this is a Torah portion study guide. Now this is number two because it's Exodus or Shamawath, and this is something I've always uh, always wanted to have myself. And this is something that we are offering to everybody who subscribes to the Unexpected Cosmology on you know, Patreon, uh, everyone who's a supporter. And what this is, is it's a Torah portions where you can line up. Let me get to the table of contents here and show you guys. You could, it, it lines up the KJV with the Paleo Hebrew. So you could study line by line, but that's not all. So now i looked into the idea of i have four translations but it would have been way too small to fit four different translations on one page so you go through the kjv and the paleo hebrew of course paleo hebrew is put out by pamela and this is what we're going through every sabbath uh and then after that you hit up this is a long tour portion after that you hit up the aramaic targum and the septuagint so uh you go through these this is of course going back to chapter one and these are these are divided by uh chapters so you see the blocks here i don't do verse by verse uh you're going to see the kind of the different links the the greek lxx is shorter than the aramaic go through it and then at the end of e each of these So long Torah portion. You have the prophets, uh, further prophets reading. So this one comes from Isaiah chapter 27, and then you have the gospel pairing, and then you go into the next Torah portion right here. And uh, so this is intended for a study guide for you at home, uh, your family, if you're in a small group, and you can print these out and you can distribute these for study purposes amongst your friends and contemporaries. 
And what, the reason I did the KJV, uh, other than the obvious that it's public domain, is that it's it's a it's something that everybody kind of holds to be true. You know, it's the King the King James, right? And so a lot of people they're coming into the Torah and maybe some of the names are scary to them, that kind of stuff. So you can it's kind of like your little your little safe space right here, right? This column. You go in, you can read the King James. And if you're reading the Paleo and you're like, I don't know who these names are, you could just jump right over here to this column and you can read. So we have this available in Bereshith, that would be Genesis, and Shamawath, that would be Exodus for the Torah portions. And then I hope to get Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy out this year as well. Of course, we're waiting for Pamela to, to hand in her translation. And uh, once again, you can, uh, let me see if I can show you where you can nab these. So if you go to the Unexpected Cosmology, you see the subscriber content button up here. And this is for everyone in Patreon. You can go see all my article updates. Uh, you can see my archives room with all the, the articles, uh, everything I have in PDF form. There's also a password. Some people send me, you know, uh, GoFundMe, uh, not GoFundMe, uh, uh, they send me personal checks or on PayPal. And so they, we give them a, a personal code, code that they can go in because all the rest are lined up with Patreon. But here's uh, this resource material. Oh, look, it did it again. Last time I was live, it did this to me. I can't believe that. I was practicing this before I went live. So we're full of all sorts of uh, issues tonight. <laughs> I'm not going to sign in live so you guys see my password. Uh, but anyways, on this page, you go in here and if you're a patron, uh, supporter, you can go in and you could see where the downloads are for these two files. So uh, really appreciate all your support, everybody. And uh, start sending in the questions. I'm going to start reading some of them off. And uh, let's see, what was the first one here? Hold on, I need to drink a coffee. All right, Disciple for Life asked me this question. He said, I have a few questions. Um, what do you think, number one, he, uh, he asked actually three questions. So number one, what do you think the time ahead looks like, looks like for us believers if it really is the short season? Now, just for clarity, what he means by short season, he's referring to Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to refer to this chapter a few times tonight. And it says in verse 7, when... Hopefully you guys can see that. When the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to assemble them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the seashore. Um, wait, that's that's not it. Um, wait, hold on. It's in here. Um, that's here. I'm why whatever. It's in here. It's in here somewhere. Oh yeah, here it is. Verse one. Um, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the abyss, holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, shut it, and sealed it over him so that he could not see the nations until the thousand years were complete. After that, he must be released for a brief period of time. Now, it says brief period of time. Some, this is uh, the, actually, this is not the King James Version. So let me jump on there and see what that says. Yeah, so the King James says he shall be loose for a little season. And 
The question is, is you know, we, we don't know what a little season is. This is all speculation. I've seen different um, different numbers, different counts on this. And so the question is, what are, if the little season has begun? I also think, it, by the way, it's a fallacy to say as soon as the millennial kingdom ends that the short season begins immediately. I think this is one of the fallacies a lot of us fall into where it has to be this uh, like this domino effect chronological events. It says afterwards, afterwards he is released. It doesn't say like a thousand years ends and immediately he's released. That's not how I read it. I could be wrong, but I, I'm saying there could be hundreds of years that could go by before he's released. It's just after these events, he is then released uh, for a little season. Now, um, I know it does say he has to be bound for a thousand years. Um, so the, the, what comes next? Um, the, a lot of people suspect that the next big event is New Jerusalem coming down. But I'm going to show you tonight, based on, I think, another one of the questions he asked, is that I, I am now of the opinion that I think New Jerusalem is here on the earth now. Now, I didn't start out that way. When I started this investigation a few years back, I was adamant that it, we're still waiting for it to come down. Um, and you know, that, that brings up the next point. Everyone's like, well, where is it? No, why can't we see it? And I have shown multiple scripture verses that say that, uh, or passages from books or scripture verses that, that say that it is here on the earth and that the masses cannot see it. Um, I'll give you one in just a few minutes. So I don't really know what the next event is. I really don't know. I, uh, is it another big exodus event? What are we waiting for, right? Clearly, according to Revelation 20, we're waiting for the uh, Satan to deceive the nations and surround the, the camp of Yah. And um, I do not believe that the camp of Yah is New Jerusalem. It, you know, I, is, it, <laughs> is it the North Pole? Is it, uh, uh, is, is it the hidden wilderness? Where's the camp? I don't know. But that's probably the next event, right? All right. What do you think the, his second question is, what do you think the time ahead looks like for us? Believe, oh, he asked that, okay. Do you think Yeshua is here in the physical dimension now? I think this is an excellent question. So this is, let me pull up here. This is uh, my book, The Hidden Wilderness. And this is actually the second edition. I just came out with the second edition. Well, in one of the, the hard things, this is probably one of the most unique pieces of research I've ever done in my life. And I wish more people were having this conversation. I don't think people know to have this conversation. It's one of those things I kind of stumbled upon a couple of verses here and there. I'm like, what is this? And I started, you know, pulling the string. I thought nothing really would come of it. And I just started discovering more and more and more and more and more stuff to the point that I released the first edition because I thought that was it. I'm like, well, I, I'm not finding anything more. So I'll just release this. And then I find out a lot more stuff. I'm like, this is incredible. So I'll probably find out more and I'll just release a third and a fourth edition. Uh, but you can see here, maybe you can read this. Um, this, is, this is actually what started the investigation for me on the hidden wilderness. And it says in 2nd Ezra 7.26, For behold, the time will come when the signs which I have foretold to you will come to pass, that the city, that's talking about New Jerusalem, which now is not seen, shall appear. And the land which now is hidden shall be disclosed. And I was like, wait, what? So what this is actually talking about here, and I'll go I'll take a few minutes to go over this, is that there is a, a, a massive chunk of land. You can see right there, I show, I show you right there the moon, right? We, we've been over this with the moon map. 
and you can see that th there is more land that is hidden on the moon map than we have in our realm. And that's the thing I love about the uh, the, the moon map. I've noticed that the like the second and third and fourth generation, probably probably like third generation flat earthers now, they're all coming into this and they're like, I'm not going to commit to a map. And you know that's controlled opposition. Back in 2015, we were all like working pretty much with the AE map, and it has shown to be true. Like it's literally up there on the moon, guys. The AE map is up there on the moon, and it, it's it's so perfect, it's so beautiful, and I know it has problems, but all the narratives have problems, right? Like there's there's mysteries to this. Um, so the idea is is that there's the, this hidden wilderness, and that there's a time in history, the millennial kingdom, when it is disclosed to the nations. They all know it's there, and when that has happened, this city appears in the hidden wilderness. All right. So my position is that when the millennial kingdom did occur that the people on the earth knew that it was there. That that doesn't mean that they saw it, okay? It doesn't mean that there was a shining light coming on them, um, nor could they they enter it. And I have reasons for believing that, but they knew it was there. Um, and in The Hidden Wilderness, I even quote from a book, people like, you know, make fun of me for this, but uh, from the book, The Pearl, which I love. And I, it, I almost fell out of my chair when I first read that. Because, guys, the way I'm investigating this, nobody else has ever written a book. No one has ever done this research before. So where do you look? You don't just put in a Google search engine, the hidden wilderness path. You have to go out there and read, right? Just read and read and read. There's probably whole books out there in monasteries up in, you know, in Uganda or Ethiopia or wherever that nobody has read that has some very juicy information. I have no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, but in the, in the book, The Pearl, it straight up says that New Jerusalem already arrived. And I was like, wait, what? And this guy is actually able to go and view it from afar, uh, a mortal. He's actually taken on a trip there to see it in the hidden wilderness. Uh, so one of the big things we missed out on in 2015, 2016, when, we were, when the whole Hebrew cosmology, the biblical cosmology uh, debate was raging, and we were all looking into the flat earth, that's the other thing that the uh the, i've noticed like the third and fourth generation flat they're no longer flat earthers they're just they're there's something other earthers like nobody wants to commit to a flat earth back in 2015 we we're all like yeah the earth is flat you know well um it i guess the, the kids are too cool for the flat earth but uh this is what it says this is what we missed out on back then we weren't really looking at it from this angle and it took me a long time to see this so if you look right here uh, first Adam and Eve, or Chaua, it says, on the third day, Allah planted the garden in the east of the earth on the border of the world eastward, all right? So according to this, because a lot of people are looking into the, the uh, Mesopotamian region for Eden, and I know there's a lot of archaeological work being put out there and stuff like that. According to these texts, it says, no, 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 no. Eden was the furthest east you could go. Okay, it wasn't plopped in the eastern area of Mesopotamia. It was go east and keep going east. And then uh, you go as far east as you can. And then beyond that, there's just ocean. All right. That's where Eden is. It says that it goes towards the sun rising. All right. And I would think that in the Enochian kind of portals, it's it's wherever wherever the day begins in the portals, according to heaven, right? The place of the sun rising. It says one finds nothing but water that encompasses the whole world 
and this is be the river Oceanus, according to other texts, and it reaches to the border of heaven. Now, when I first read that, the borders of heaven, I was like, okay, well, that's talking about the firmament. But you're going to see in this book that actually, no, it's it, the border, borders of heaven. It's actually literally like this is Elysian fields. This is heaven on earth. This is, uh, you know, yeah, this is, it, it's beyond where the sun and the moon is. You, you would go beyond into total darkness. And then beyond that is a realm on this earth is in the material realm, but it's actually only where spiritual creatures can go. Really interesting. Uh, let's see. There is a couple others here. I'll just point out in the introduction before I get really into the meaty stuff in the book. Uh, first Enoch here talks about uh, the male is named Behemoth who occupied, who occupied with his breast a waste wilderness on the east of the garden where the elect and righteous dwell. Okay, so present tense, according to Enoch, there is uh, a place east of the gardens. Remember, the, the garden is as far east as you can go. And then you go further east than that. And it's where the righteous dwell. That's the hidden wilderness. That's behemoth, right? The waste wilderness. And uh, I think that's all I kind of want to capture right here. But all that to say, and one of the big groundbreaking things for me for the second edition, I put out the video about a month ago, was learning the Essene theology that the, according to Josephus, that the Essenes believed, he said they agreed with the Greeks in the Lysian fields, that there is actually a land you know, farthest from that you that the spirits of the dead go to, or the righteous. Now, you know, people are going to criticize and say, well, that's, you know, pagan, it's Greek, right? And need I remind you that uh, <laughs> I used to be in the everything is pagan camp uh, a few years ago, too. Need I remind you that all of these religions are, you know, they're all being sourced back. They're being funneled back originally through Noah into, uh, into the Sethites. So, um, all right. So all that to say is, yes, I think that there is evidence that, I mean, we're talking about the camp of the, the, the saints on the earth, right? I believe that there is good reason to conclude that Yahushua HaMashiach, as well as the saints, are on the earth now in the hidden wilderness. Um, can we physically get to it? No, you have to, if you want the roadside directions, uh, you know, live a righteous life. And uh, on your death, you can go there. All right, another question. Do you, uh, let's see. Oh, this is a really interesting one. This is a little off topic. And uh, I'll check your in just a second to see if you guys are writing any questions. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and answer this now. JD Powell asked, let me throw this up here. If you continually go east, wouldn't you just go in a circle chasing the path of the sun? that is a very very um uh, good question so <clears throat> the i i kind of i kind of covered a little i'm trying to figure out how to explain this um because i i kind of think that there's the way that so what he's saying here is the way the ae map works I don't have a visual to throw up here, but you guys can imagine that the the north, it's kind of like a vinyl record, right? Or a CD or whatever, a plate, and you have the North Pole in the middle. And so that, according to the AE map, that's that's north, right? 
and you measure all directions, um, all directions out from the north would be south, and then east or west goes into a, a circle. This is a very much true. Uh, the, the way that the moon map works, though, is that true north is actually moving, okay? And it takes about, I have it in the back of the book here. I don't want to flip through it and take all the time to look at it. It takes about, what, 36, 37,000 years, I think it is. Wait, hold on. I'm going to have to look now. Hold on. Me and math. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, let's look at this here. It takes, oh, look, I think it went right to the section. It takes something like, oh, 20, I said 36. I knew I had that wrong. It takes something like 26,000 years for the, uh, you can actually see the visual right here, for the, the sun to move in this circle uh, around the moon map in which the entire circle of our room would move with it, right? Um, and so in that sense, if you're looking on the greater, uh, the greater map, East, East and West kind of takes on a new definition as well. So um, hopefully, that, hopefully that helps. Um, the, you can actually see on the moon map where uh, it, it, it kind of opens up. Actually, I think right here on the East Coast in Florida. And it would just be ocean because actually if you kind of go all flights, you kind of have to go north, right? You go into this arch projectory over into Europe. Uh, and you know Africa, it, it, um, on globe maps it shows like North and South America and Africa here, but really Africa is like way up here, right? So you have this huge opening, and you go out that way, and then you you know you hit the the furthest extremities of the Earth. All right. Hopefully that was not confusing. I'm sorry if it was. All right. Next question. I am striving to gather, and this is the same individual, Disciple for Life, he asked me three questions. I would really appreciate a list of PDFs or links to downloads for the text and versions trans translations you recommend. Something like Noel's recommended library, or to that end, that I can download and read, store, burn, and print at will. If you have something like this already, then my apologies. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would very much like to have the traces of our real history stored somewhere safe when they are ready to study it okay so obviously the number one source that everybody needs is a bible my bible that i go with is the sefer and what i love about the step the sefer is that the, the man who headed headed this up stephen pigeon he included something like 20 I always forget to count uh, books that are not in canon. These include Enoch, Jubilees, Jasher, but then you have first and second Baruch, Tobit, uh, Epistle of Jeremiah. Let me look through here. What else do we have? Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom of Solomon, uh, Additions to Esther, Judith, Prayer of Manesha, Prayer of Azariah, uh, Bell and the Dragon. First, second Esdras, first through fourth Maccabees, and then he doesn't add anything to the New Testament. He has other books to uh, for some of that stuff. And what I love about it is that he doesn't just wedge it into the Apocrypha in the middle, like the uh, Protestant Reformation did with the King James, but he actually distributes them throughout a traditional canon, which gives them an air of authority. And I remember the first time I got a Sefer and I opened it up, and I almost cried. I'm like, this is beautiful. And had all the original names in, in 
the Masoretic Hebrew, not in the Paleo, but it had all the names. And so I highly recommend that. But if there's one book, and by the way, I think it's a incredible idea to, a good idea to come up with a list of books that I recommend. But other than the Bible, okay, if there is one book that everybody should get and have on their shelf and refer to, especially in the day and age we live in, is this one right here. Can you guys see this? Um, I lost my camera here. This is what really makes you ill, why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. I get asked, this is one of the biggest things I get asked that people uh, push me on about germ theory, because I don't believe in germ theory, okay? I call it germ theory for reasons. It's like the theory of evolution, all right? And in fact, germ theory lines up with the, it, with the theory of evolution as well. I mean, they went hand in hand. They were contemporaries. They worked together. Um, and um, this basically shows why it's not, it's very thick. And you can just go through here and you can resource, you know, chicken pox, you can, uh, the bubonic plague. Let me just look here at the uh, smallpox, polio, cancer, uh, a certain type of damage. See, I can't talk about this because I'm going to get in trouble um, on this channel by the authorities and get uh, my channel taken down. But everybody needs to get this book, read it, and source it. Whenever somebody asks you a question, it's it's wonderful. It will change your world. It was a it was a game changer for me. All right, I lost my um, whatever. All right, let me look at the next question here. Thank you, Rebecca. I like this question. This is a good one. Rebecca asked me, when did you first know you wanted to be a writer? It happened in 1988, summer of 1988. Uh, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, my grandfather was dying. He was the patriarch of my family. Um, when he died, you know, it hit everybody really hard. You know, people were never the same, that kind of thing. And um, uh, I, I remember, I, I, I don't know what it was that I decided I want to be a writer, but I used to, I was in the uh, second grade, going into the third grade. And I used to, um, every free moment I got in school and everything, I would just sit down, I would start writing books. Just like I write papers now, I did the same thing. I would just sit down and I would write it. I would go through two or three a week just, and I would staple them and I'd have all my books on different, you know, subjects and stuff. And back then, you know, I'm, you know, seven years old. And so six or seven years old. And so my fascination relies on the arcades like Donkey Kong and, you know, the Mario brothers and stuff like that. You know, you go to the arcade and play the games that for me, that was like, like, you know, a temple back then. I mean, it was to go in the arcade and have the quarters and put it in and, you know, play Pac-Man, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I remember in the third grade, went to a private school and I feel cheated now because I, it wasn't until I was an adult, I realized that the curriculum I went through was homeschool curriculum, which means I didn't even have to be at school. Like I did not have to be at class. And I'm like, wait a second, totally cheated. Could have stayed home, got it all done way sooner than in school. But anyways, the the principal, he goes up there for the whole class. And you now keep in mind, the class is like kindergarten through junior high, right? And there's about 50 of us. I don't know how many there were. 
And we're supposed to say what we wanted to be when we grew up. And, you know, I remember people are saying, oh, I wanted to be, you know, an astronaut or, you know, a, a, an archaeologist, you know, going down the list of things. And, it, when it, and everyone's like, great, great, great. I kid you not. I remember this, it, it's burned in my memory because I was the only one, I, and he pointed me and he said, what do you wanna be? And I said, I wanna be a writer. And, he, and his response to me was, that's nice. When that doesn't work out, what, do you, what will you be? And I was just like, ouch, dude, I'm like seven years old, I crushed my dreams, dude. And uh, it, you know, that, he, he never, this guy never liked me. Uh, I won't give his name, but he uh, hounded me for years. He never liked me. And um, he was trying to make a public example of me, but you know, I, I, I don't know how many in my class went on to become archaeologists or astronauts. One of them did say a police officer. I don't even know if he became a police officer, but I do think of everyone in there who gave their descriptions, I became what I actually said I would be, and that was a writer. So yeah, so I've been, I've been writing since I was seven years old and people ask me all the time one of the things they ask is how do you write a book because i'm just turning these things out right and i'm like well you know it, the first thing i ask them is do you read and usually they're like no and like what do you mean you don't read you, you can't write if you don't read you can't write if you just watch youtube videos you gotta you gotta be able to read the you need to be able to read like a book per week almost you know just turn out like a just turn out books just read them read them read them uh, you need to be able to write, you know, just sit down and write 10 pages before breakfast, right? Like, I don't mean be overly harsh on this, but it, it's the, the example I use. It's like um, if, if someone were to go out and run a marathon or even a, a triathlon, but let's just start with a marathon. Imagine if you've never run a marathon before. You don't even go running, but you want to run a marathon. I suppose maybe you can go run the Boston Marathon or whatever and Maybe you'll crawl through the finish line, you know, hours behind everybody else, you know, wanting to die. Um, but do you really want to do that, right? And how do you get where you just, you're up there with the Kenyan runners, you know, just going through the finish line right away? Well, it takes years and years and years and years and years and years of doing it. Anyways, so yeah, that that's my thing on that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh Okay, um, let me look up here. I was asked, what are your thoughts on 1 Corinthians 15.41? It mentions glory of the sun, the moon, stars as part of the afterlife. So let me just turn here to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to just see what this says. Because I'm sorry, this actually is not ringing a bell. Ringing a bell. Um, I like Bible Hub. Let's go there. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differeth from another star in glory. So I, let me, okay, let's just jump to the whole chapter here. This is verse 41. All right, so this is the context of the resurrection body. So that's why I'm turning to this to get the rate of context here. So starting in verse 35, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And by the way, this may lead into another uh, question that I got tonight. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, 
that which thou sowest is not quickened except to die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But Allah Hayyam giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. Yeah, he had to give me a Paul passage, didn't you? <laughs> but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Uh, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised in spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Uh, Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. All right, so... I'm not sure where you're you're wanting to go with this on term, you know, like I, I'm not sure if you're fishing for information on um, are the the stars themselves like resurrected saints or something like that. Um, well, let me I, well, let me just say that I think what he's saying here is that you have these two classifications. You have the the the, the fleshly bodies down here, and then this, these heavenly bodies up there which are these glorious bodies the, the stars the, the moon and the sun and that they're he's making a contrast uh between you know our lives now and what we're going to be like in the resurrection uh, but there is this passage i wanted to cover and it's in job so to address this let me quickly jump into another question i was asked in my group earlier today this one comes from Jody, and she says, I won't, well, I won't be there tonight, but I also have one more question concerning pre-existence and being created as image bearers. We have been taught that humans are different than angels. With the possibility of us being angels beforehand, how does that go with the creation of man being, a, being special, I guess? Is it uh implied or it is implied different than angels i hope that makes sense um are we different or special this is in regards to pre-existence so i'm bringing up this question now because these two questions seem to be aligned and what i wanted to go over tonight and you when you brought up the stars in first corinthians this reminded me of job job chapter one we see here now there was a now there was a day when the sons of Allah Hayyam came to present themselves before Yahuwah, and Satan came along among them. Now before I address this scene further, let me jump to Job 38, and it says, um, "Man, I had it there. Where is it? Maybe it's towards the end here." It says when the the stars, <laughs> oh man, don't you just love being alive? And I had this all lined up. Well, here we go. Verse seven, or starting in verse six, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together 
and all the sons of Awahayam shouted for joy. Now notice the separation there. People typically bind these together. I remember that one that, that was one of the big things with the, the flat earth movement is this realization that stars are divine beings, right? So you have this idea that the morning stars sang together. When you look through the uh, the P900, you know, we've all seen the footage and it, the way they just throb and pulsate and they literally look like they're speaking and singing. It's almost like you see mouths on these things. And so I think that that's a, you know, not a poetic picture at all, right? But then notice that it separates the sons of Allah Hayam. There's the stars singing together, but then there's the sons of Allah Hayam. And I am of the opinion that these sons of God, now remember now <clears throat> that we can become sons of, of Allah Hayam. Uh, Seth and his children were considered sons of Allah Hayam. And then there's also the Genesis 6 passage where it says the sons of God, the sons of Allah Hayam, or sons of Elohim came down and took human wives. So I am of the opinion that these sons of Allah Hayam were us, that we were the sons of God. And to show you a little bit more of that, this comes from the book of the Illuminators. You guys know is the uh, the Gospel of the Nazarene. Um, and this is what it says. Later, the Talmudim, those would be the disciples, asked Yahusha why he had succeeded when they had failed. And they're talking about casting out demons. And they were unable to do so, and obviously he can. And he said... These things are done through the power of the Ruach Kakadesh, which is the hand of Elohim. Men have it according to their capacity to hold it. But before it can come in, evil must be driven out. I do not teach abstinence from evil for some purposeless, purposeless end, but to bring to men the recognition of their heritage. All men were once sons of Elohim. This is the clearest passage I've I've seen on the pre-existence uh, game spectrum narrative ever i mean this just brings it all into focus all men were once sons of elohim but they became bastards of elohim without heritage i come to men so that they may re-inherit and become true sons of elohim so <clears throat> um yeah i mean as i've been reflecting a lot on this i i kind of think that you know i'll probably be heavily criticized for this I kind of think there's probably something to the caste system. You know, I'm not talking about reincarnation. The caste system is typically ba based on reincarnation. It's almost the right idea, though, because they'll say that, you know, you're in this position in life because, you know, you're like living in the sewers or you're living in this plush house because of something you did in your past life. Now, obviously, I don't believe in reincarnation in the sense that we keep coming back, but there is this idea that the process of sanctification and uh, salvation process is done over multiple lives. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that if we were the sons of Allah Hayam in heaven, that was a previous life, right? And then there's a reason we're down here on this earth. It's to be tested and to work out uh, whatever it is we did. And I, I'm not prepared at this moment to show it, but there are passages out there that seem to infer that each of us have what we have in life and you know the testing and the trials and um, everything that's happening to us is based on 
what happened to us beforehand. Like this, the, the trans, whatever, whatever we did, uh, whatever transgression we did, you know, how bad it was and so on and so forth. Um, that being said, we have other instances of pre-existence uh, where now, again, you know, the watchers uh, were, con if you line up Enoch with the Genesis 6, obviously the watchers are the sons of Elohim, right? So that's kind of interesting. Um, and so you could say that we were perhaps angels. And in fact, here, here's a passage here from Yosef's prayer. It is a, it's a fragmented book. We don't have the complete, but I find it really fascinating. And it straight up says the Yashuel, this is, would be Yaakov. This is the grandson of Abraham. He says, uh, I, uh, well, he's basically here, he's being confronted by Uriel and he's, who he says is the eighth after me. He is superior to Uriel. And he says, I, Yasharil, the archangel, the power of Yahuwah and the chief captain among the sons of Elohim. Uh, so the idea was, is that um, Yasharil or Yaakov, according to this text, was a very, very, very powerful angel in heaven. And for whatever reason, uh, maybe not because he transgressed, it might not have anything to do with transgression. For whatever reason, he came down to, to you know, have some sort of mission. And I'm finding more and more that, especially in what we call Second Temple literature, that there is a lot of uh, themes of of these resets where Yahuwah needed to intervene in history at these appointed time, like with Enoch, with Noah, with Abraham, with Yasharel slash Yaakov, uh, and eventually Yahushua HaMashiach, and put these specific, you know, people in line in order to kind of reset the uh, uh, the pieces on the playing board. All right, let me just see what else you guys are saying here. Um, all right. Let me ask, uh, go with, over another question here. I'm just making sure I'm not skipping any questions. <clears throat> All right, Irving asked me the following question. I have, he says, I have a question. It's more of a clarification, but I think it will also help other MK believers or the 7080 crowd that haven't heard your theory to understand it better. I love your take on the millennial kingdom starting around 500 years after our Messiah's resurrection. I think it makes more sense in our timeline. But according to your theory, I still struggle understanding what happened between 7080 and the start of the MK. Did Yahushua come back for his people in some sort of rapture and then brought them back for the MK? Thank you. Um, all right. So, you know, back when... And this will tie in with another question I was asked. Back when I started looking into the Middle Kingdom a few years ago now, back in um, 2020, uh, I'm hearing reports of other people. It seems like there were quite a few people at the same time. Nobody knew each other. We all kind of had this idea, and we started looking into it all around, yeah, 2020. Um, nowadays, it seems like there's just people are cropping up everywhere, and you know everybody has an original opinion, which is fine. It's almost like... Um, but there's not, it doesn't seem to be a lot of unity out there. Now, when I started looking into this, let me pull up this paper here. Um, let me just say, okay. 
Let's see, where did it go? Here's the 7,000 year timeline deception. All right. Um, years ago, I was finding these, these passages from like uh, questions of Bartholomew, Gospel of Nicodemus, Adam and Eve. And they were talking about how on the timeline that Yahushua HaMashiach showed up in the year 5,500. And, uh, and, and that the kingdom would be ushered in in the year 6,000. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because, you know, these texts say they, they go up, they line up with the Greek LXX timeline. You could see that the Masoretic and the Greek LXX are two different timelines. They don't agree. Uh, in fact, the... Uh, by the time you get to Yahushua HaMashiach, the, the, the modern Hebrew Masoretic is about 1,500 years behind the Greek LXX. So according to the Hebrew Masoretic, we're about, we're about at the year 6,000 now. According to the Greek LXX, Yahushua HaMashiach was resurrected in the year 5,500. And so I was reading these books and going, man, I love these books, but they had failed prophecies. They didn't come true uh, because clearly uh, the, the kingdom was not set up in the 500s AD. So I, I kind of set them aside. I didn't really know what to do with them. And so when all this millennial kingdom research, or I should say really Tartaria research started coming up and I started looking into it, those immediately, you know, struck uh, my, my memory. And I went right back to that. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so I started finding all these passages that I really don't think this is that confusing guys, because maybe this is where it kind of hits the fan because a lot of people like to say they read extra biblical books, but at the end of the day, when it comes to stuff like this, like the gospel of Nicodemus, Adam and Eve, these things, I guess, do you really believe they're scripture or not? Right. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of the canonical crowd coming into this are kind of confused by my timeline. Um, so yeah, according to these books, Yahushua Mashiach would resurrect from the dead in your 5,500 and at 6,000, after completing six days on the week, would begin the day of rest, the sabbatical, the 7,000 years that he would give to the earth. Now, keep in mind, the guys, that his, his kingdom did not last for 1,000 years. Okay, it did not come and go. His kingdom is eternal. It still exists. All right. It, it was, it was in, when he was being tried by Pontius Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not present is not of this world. And this is where the hidden wilderness comes into this. Um, I, I think that is so imperative to this research. And he said to his Talmudim, okay, he didn't tell them, I'm coming back and setting my kingdom in front of you. No, he said, I'm coming back for you. I'm taking you to where I am. Everyone likes to leave out the part. He's taking them elsewhere to where he is, okay? Not, not here in our realm. In fact, I am not of... I am not completely convinced that he was ever in this realm. Um, I, I, it seems like a lot of people coming into this advertise that he was up there on some float, you know, waving at people, in, you know, or like the Queen of England or the Pope mobile or whatever. And it's like, no, no, he, he was he was off in his realm. And uh, I'm not saying he didn't come here, but so you see this here with the Book of Adam. It says that at the five and a half thousandth year, the beloved son of Alahayam, uh, Mashiach. Will come upon the earth to resurrect Adam's body from his fall. Uh, here's another passage from Bezora Nicodemus, or the Gospel of Nicodemus, and it says, 
because thou canst not by any means obtain it till the last day and times, namely till 5,500 years be passed. Then will Mashiach, the most merciful son of Allah, come on the earth to raise again the human body of Adam. And at that time, he then takes him to where he is. He takes Adam to paradise. Um, and then here, the uh, Gospel of Bartholomew, it says, it talks about uh, Eliyahu and Enoch are coming back. But it says, not yet are 6,000 years accomplished, because this book, the, the questions of Bartholomew, or the Gospel of Bartholomew, alternatively, uh, goes by the same timeline, that he showed up, resurrected 5,500, and that 500 years later, his kingdom would come. So, and I'll take you through some more quotes here to help you guys understand where I'm coming at. I'm not taking out the calculator and just like coming up with some fanciful math on my own. And, you know, look at my charts, everybody. I came up with this. It's, it's like, no, these were all laid out for us in scripture. I'm just going by what these books say. All right. And so what I did was, is I'm like, okay, so we know that there was 40 years between the resurrection and the temple's destruction. It makes total sense. Like the 40 years in the wilderness, right? Judgment, 40 years. But according to these, that his kingdom will be manifested okay it exists already he takes him to where he is it exists just like today it still exists he takes him to where he is and then he is manifesting the kingdom at a later time at the year six thousand five hundred years later i i put this chart over official history and lo and behold it lines up precisely with the dark ages the year 500 to year 1500 it was unbelievable and you look at the, 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 the geological columns of architecture, for example, and what do you have? And from 500 onwards, you have Gothic cathedrals. Notice the word Gothic. Really interesting. That's total um, Orwellian language in order to uglify a very beautiful thing. The, the idea of calling them Gothic is to actually degrade them. It was the, uh, the Renaissance that called them the Goths, right? Uh, and you see any number of things just lining up perfectly. I've taken you guys all through that. So for me, it fits like a glove. Official history makes perfect sense because then as soon as you're done with the thousand years of the Dark Ages, you get right into the Protestant Reformation. You get right into the Renaissance. Total, total rebellion. Um, and interestingly enough, because a lot of people, they get insulted when I say that the Reformation was uh, rebellion. Um, or controlled opposition. It was controlled opposition. But now I'm not being anti-Pauline, you guys, tonight. I will be talking about this it, when I go through my Galatians study. I already, um, in like 20 pages into this, is that interestingly enough, the Protestant Reformation, who did they use as their, their poster boy? Who did they use as the banner that they waved high was Paul. They put all their cards on the table and it was Paul. They wanted a, a Reformation, a um a spiritual uh revival exclusively through paul through their version of paul which was the law is done away with right the torah is done away with that was the protestant reformation no more sabbath we can eat pork we can do all these things protestant reformation perfect bookend to the uh, millennial kingdom so let me see if i have uh, in my book i um a lot of quotes about the 5,500 and the 6,000 years, how that's supposed to play out. I really don't think that, I don't know why people are so confused by this. I really don't think it's this confusing. It's, it, it's, it's, it, again, it's in the, 
It's in scripture. It's in all these books. So then I take you through the uh, anticipation of the church fathers. And I. so what do I think was happening during this time? Well, if the, if the true righteous were taken away in 66 to 70 AD, then you would have perhaps left behind um, the people who didn't make it, the more apostate crowd, the people who are now going to wrangle Paul, people who are going to, you know, do away with the Torah. And you would have a guy like um, Ignatius. Uh, Ignatius, that guy was, you know, right around the year 110 AD. And he was a total campaign against the Torah. He was, he, he was like, no, you do not do this, right? So you see a, a, a whole new face of Christianity. You see the rise of Rome in, within the Christian church, the takeover by our controllers um, leading up to St. Augustine. And I have a lot of quotes in here of very early church fathers, and they're all saying it. Yehusha HaMashiach came in the year 5,500. The year 6,000 is it, right? Uh, and then, of course, yeah, I can keep going on and on and on. Hopefully that addresses where I'm getting this theory from, okay? Where... So what happens is, is that when you, one of the things that gets us in trouble is when we read the New Testament and we don't use the Torah to interpret it, right? Give you guys an example, the Mark of the Beast. Everyone, you go out there, there are probably hundreds of thousands, probably, there are at least tens of thousands of YouTube videos out there, all with people telling you what the Mark of the Beast is. And every single one, they have this new interpretation. It's always the next thing or, you know, a couple things away, right? And it's like, wait, wait a second, guys. You guys are just making this up what you think the mark of the beast is. What if we actually took it to scripture? What if we cross-reference? And then you, you're like, wait a second. There's a mark of the beast, but then there's a mark of Yah, mark of Yahuwah. And this mark is keep the Sabbath. And you don't buy or sell on the Sabbath. And then the mark of the beast is you buy, you can't buy and sell unless you take the mark, right? And you're like, oh, you're starting to see this now. You're starting to see that if you don't have the mark of Yahuwah, you take the mark of the beast. If you don't want the mark of the beast, you take the mark of Yahuwah. How do you take that mark? You keep the Sabbath, all right? It brings it into more clarity. And I would say the same thing with, uh, I would challenge anybody. How do you know, how can you show me any other passage in scripture where we get this, this uh, thousand years? Where, where does that show up? Well, it shows up in well, starters in the creation week and Peter in his midrash, uh, he talks about that, right? How a day is like a thousand years. So you can take it back to the Torah. Well, with the, with the timeline, it's the same thing. People look at Revelation and they go, oh, well, no, it says that, you know, the Middle Kingdom started right afterwards. Is that what it says? Because I can now reference other books, and I, I, granted, I'm not going back to the Torah. I'm looking at other contemporary books, and they're saying something different. All right. Now, I've kind of beat that in, but um, okay. Let's see what other questions are here. I'm sorry if, if some of these are, there's a lot of people in here asking questions now. So uh, somebody asked, I'll throw this one up. What are your thoughts on the year 536? Now, this is perfect for what I'm talking about right now because um, I've, I've also shown that there was a, uh, in my paper on the Phoenix, which can be found in the 7,000 year timeline. But what I just went through these quotes comes from the book, The 7,000 Year Timeline. 
where I just lay this out. Here's my case. And hopefully this makes sense to you. I'm actually writing the, the follow-up, which is called right now the working title is The End of the Millennial Kingdom. So it, it dovetails the, the opposite end, the year 1500, and shows all the things that happened around that time that leads us up into the short season. But 536 is the year of the uh, the fire reset. Now, a lot of people who don't like my timeline, they haven't been challenging me on this because I, I think that maybe they don't know what to do with it. Because the way there, there are these actual geological columns, like you can, you can, um, I showed the tree rings, right? You, the tree, the tree rings don't lie. They show you every single age of their life, and all the trees that date back to that time period, all the way from Mongolia to and Siberia, over to Ireland, all the way over to California and down to Mexico. So the entire swath of the known world, all attests to the year 536 being a very, very bad year, and it's the year of the fire reset. There is probably an unfathomable amount of volcanic activity that year they were blowing all the way up in alaska all the way out um the uh below china all over the world right so you had all this fire the smoke going up the sun we know was was um uh did not show for 18 months now they could see like a faint kind of like ring up there but it had no authority there was no heat right? You weren't going out and feeling the warmth. You couldn't really see the sun. And the same thing for the sun, the, the moon and the stars. They they failed in authority. They no longer shone. There was a mysterious fog all over the earth, you know, just things like that. So for me, looking at that, it's it, it falls in line perfectly. So if you're going to say that the Millennial Kingdom started in 72 AD, well, let's talk about that. So now 500 years later, you've got this worldwide destruction, this destructive event. What was going on with that, right? And this is where I'm saying that the tree rings don't lie. And it lines up perfectly. And I, guys, all I'm doing here is going by scripture, going by what scripture says. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, be, you know, fancy in this, right? Or, you know, try to be clever, or whatever. I'm just reading, doing my says, and it lines up with history. So 536 was probably the year of a huge fire reset. Uh, 537, as I pointed out, I'll be doing another presentation on 537 tomorrow night on the rod of Yahuwah and, uh, uh, and Excalibur and tying that in with 537. But uh, 537, according to accounts, is the end of Camelot, the death of Arthur, and then you get into uh, 541, which was the plague of Justinian, in which the entire world was... Uh, Almost, almost went extinct from this plague. And if you guys catch my presentation on that, I did a few weeks ago. Um, people were who were getting this disease were actually being visited by a, a friendly spirit. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't call it a friendly spirit, but they were being visited by spirits, uh, angels. They would call them demons, and they would inflict this disease on them. They would actually go knock on their door. This is probably where De the Grim Reaper knocking on your door comes from. And a lot of people wouldn't answer their door because they were afraid that the spirit was there to give them the disease. And this was recorded, you know, all around the world. It was it was insane. So, anyways, I, for me, it seems like the the narrative lines up. All right, let's see what other questions we have here. All right. How long is the little season? No more than 20, and there is scripture, but no one hears. Um, so I'm not sure. 
what you mean by no more than 20? Because, I mean, it talked about in Revelation 20. I don't know if you mean 20 years. Um, I don't know how long the short season is. And I specifically do not. So I couldn't tell you when it began. I can't tell you when it ends. Um, I don't want to put dates on that. People love putting dates on it. The one thing that's going to kill this movement, I guarantee you guys, is putting dates on things. You guys put dates on things, you're going to kill it. And it will be mockery. People are like, look at these predictions. Clearly, they were wrong about this because they didn't come true. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's some interesting things coming up, right? Uh, 2030 events. That's really interesting. Do do they do our do the elite do our controllers have an end in sight? I, I don't know, guys. Maybe they don't even know, right? Um, but th th there is something that is interesting that I, I want to talk about more. I won't be talking about tonight, but this idea of time loops. And I have suggested in the past, if you look at my uh, Back to the Future uh, presentation I gave, that I, I put out there this idea that, so I was born in 1980, and I put out there the idea that 9-11, September 11th happened before I was born. Of course, we know what happened on 9-11-2001. And the reason I say that is because of the sheer amount of insane predictive programming put, put out there and precise too. I mean, that they were able to execute this so precisely on all of this predictive programming that they would have the technology for all these things just line up in place. And I put out there the possibility that the Back to the Future movies, which, as you guys know, predicts uh, the alternate timeline where Trump becomes president in part two with, you know, evil Biff uh, running uh, the police and all that. Um, I put and that has a lot of uh, predictive programming, 9-11 in it as well. I put out the, the possibility that those are actual time travel movies, that they only existed because it actually happened. Now, when I talk about time travel, I'm not talking about people getting into a phone booth or a DeLorean and actually traveling materially into a different time. But I have asked the question, is it possible that sometime in this um, sometime in this the short season, maybe in the future, maybe it already happened, was someone like CERN or something else able to send transmissions to the past electronically, you know, uh, something that was able to feed information to a past date that they were able to then push things forward. And uh, alternatively is Satan, because I believe Satan is trapped in time. That's one of the ideas of him being thrown out of heaven, being thrown into the abyss, uh, and then coming out of the abyss that he is no longer outside of time. He's actually trapped in time. So he is now um, held still prisoner to this this end date that he can't get. He can't step out of that and be like, well, I can live eternally outside of time, right? He's stuck. So the question is, has it already happened, or is that the goal to have these time loops, right, and just keep throwing us into it into the short season? I don't really know. Um, I think it's worth considering uh, with everything they're throwing out there at us. <clears throat> Someone asked, uh, would it be more like 250 years? And then, of course, there's the 1776 date. And then we're looking at 2026. So here we are two years away from 2026. And um, I have never officially uh, given any dates. Um, and I don't know. I'm not a crystal ball. We'll, we'll take it one day at a time and uh, and see what happens. And um, I don't know. I mean, personally, um, I'm I'm of the opinion um, that at least I'm living my life expecting to grow old and die. Uh, 
I know that's not for the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to, I hope I grow old and die and I don't just drop over in the next like 10 years, but I would like to see my children grow up. I would like to see them have children. And I say this because I, I just want to correct the mentality that is, is out there a lot that there there's a lot of uh, i'm not saying anybody here listening okay i'm not uh, but i see this a lot out there this despair of i just want it all to end i can't take it anymore i just i can't live in this world anymore well the thing is is that uh yahuwah asked us to live in this world at this appointed time and this is why i think it's so important to desire to honor and serve the most high our father in heaven as well as uh his son yahushua hamashiach um and be obedient to him because if we do not enjoy doing that if we do not enjoy that service if that does not bring us joy why do we think that we're going to enjoy it in eternity that, i mean that's a good question i think we should all ask that if you do not enjoy it now and you don't want to live your life for allah now then what what is eternity going to make a difference like are we all just be sitting around on, with harps on clouds like no i don't think that's going to be the case and you look at the angels now, right? Who they come to help us out on, like, I am of the opinion that that will be us in future timelines. Like we're going to be going into a world of despair and, and helping people out. And you even see the angels, they don't have all the, the answers. You look at Enoch, they, they get frustrated because they go to the most high and they're like, you don't tell us what's going on. We know, you know, everything, but you're not telling us. We're looking down and seeing the, the terrible things that are, are, our comrades, the watchers have gone down there and done to humanity. We don't like this. What are you going to do about it? Right. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, my, my point is, is that if we don't enjoy serving Yahuwah, um, and being obedient to him, then we're not going to make it. I, I, I think that that's really important for all of us to grasp. And if it ends in the next couple of years, awesome. Hallelujah. If it, ends in 500 years awesome hallelujah so uh that's just my thought on that all right let me go back to one of the questions that was asked earlier this comes from walker and he says i have one question more of a theory with the rise in mk research i have noted tartary research kind of stall and feel more controlled opposition than anything else now i'll, I'll remind everyone that's i'm just reading this um i couldn't tell you because i don't um, I actually don't follow Tartary research. I really don't know much of what's out there. Um, and so I think this is one of the reasons that maybe a lot of what I'm saying feels very detached from what other people are researching. And they come over here and they hear all these things. They're like, this is interesting stuff you're saying, Noel, but, you know, why is this, you know, where's the disconnect here? And it's because I, I don't know what other people are saying. So, um, but anyways, he says, I've noticed Tartary research kind of stall and feel more controlled opposition than anything else. The Bible states Tartarus is hell. And if Tartary is a, a worldwide civilization, then I think uh, deface the MK buildings, not built them. Could Tartary be the start of the short season, the takeover of Hasatan? And if we prove that, we prove the short season. Do you have any thoughts on this possibility? So um, interesting question. It's something I've thought about since the very beginning, because I remember when the Tartary research was coming through, and they were they were talking about this worldwide kingdom of peace and shalom and i'm like i i, I had a disconnect i'm like okay tartary tartarus worldwide kingdom of shalom i'm not seeing it right in fact the and let me just be clear here um I'll probably lose some viewers over this that 
that for me, Tartary was actually a region on the earth, right? And so there's this idea that because Tartary was scrubbed, and we see like the, the CIA declassified docs talking about Russia and how they were scrubbing Tartary, of course, America did too, so they weren't any better off, that it, it, it was, a you know, we see on the maps and it kind of grows larger sometimes and smaller and so on and so forth. I personally think it's a big mystery. I think of Tartary as that specific place of, I wouldn't call it the United States of Tartary, you know, like the whole world was Tartary. But that being said, um, let me pull up this uh, one book here. Now I could, pull, I could pull up a lot of different books and they all say the same thing. I have never found anything positive about Tartary. So this comes from, this one is the vision of Paul, which uh, talks about the hidden wilderness. It's a great book. I love it. And this, the context of this is that Paul is seeing when people die and they go before the throne. And this lines up exactly with um, Second Esdras. And what happens is that the guardian angels, we're assigned a couple guardian angels our entire life. And when we die, we get to meet our guardian angels. And they're going to tell us one of two things. One was that, uh, I did not enjoy serving you my entire, your entire life. Good riddance. I'm kind of glad it's over and I get a new assignment because this has been miserable. Having to be around you, being unclean all the time and sitting in rebellion and thinking nasty thoughts and having to listen to your music and all these things, like they're going to tell us that. Or they're going to say like, well done. This was awesome. Um, I had, I had, it was such an honor serving you. All right. So, uh, man, now it's like, I'm gonna have a hard time finding this where it says it. And it talks about Tartary here. Um, oh, oh my goodness. This is so frustrating when I'm like live and I'm not finding it. Maybe you guys can see it. It's on here somewhere. Anyways, um, there's multiple times in here where it talks about that there's the the angel Tartarus. Oh, right here. Let me uh, highlight this so you can see it. Can you guys see that? All right. And it says, uh, uh, whoever shall have done mercy on them, shall he have mercy? And whoever shall not have pity, neither shall Elohim pity him. Let him therefore be handed over to the angel Tartaruk, who is set over the punishments. So this angel Tartaruk, he would be like the, the prince of Sheol, right? And we get down here and it talks about him more. And there's, there's actual um, passages I could send you to where it talks about the tormenting spirits are actually the Tartarians. Um, so, you know, because, again, when I, when I used to bring this up, people would just, you know, roll their eyes and sigh, go, this guy doesn't get it, whatever. We're sticking with Tartaria. This is one of the reasons I don't talk about Tartaria much. I don't mention it. And I'm not trying to, you know, I don't put it on usually under my videos and stuff to try to get views, that kind of stuff. Because for me, Tartary is, I don't see anything positive with it. So I, I think that there is something in his comment that is uh, perhaps true that maybe the maybe Tartaria could have been a part of the rebellion. It could have been a part of Satan's release. Uh, that was then, of course, you know, scrubbed. Maybe there was 
maybe that was part of the reason why they don't want us to see Tartary. Like there's multiple things being covered up. I'm just throwing that out there. And yeah, that's all folks on that. All right, let's see what the next question is. And I'm sorry if anybody is asking anything, Will, if someone is asking questions that I'm missing, I apologize. All right, uh, somebody else asked, somebody, uh, Becca Giles, I think is how I pronounce it, asked, I have a question. It came up at fellowship while discussing the sign of Jonah and Leviathan. Now, this was a, a series I put out on Leviathan about a month ago. And this passage was mentioned. This comes from Jonah chapter 2, 1 through 3. Adam and I prepared a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed to Adonai his Alahayam. He said, out of my distress, I called to Adonai, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. All right. Then she goes on to say, I think I can't remember if this is a man or a woman. I'm sorry. It's been said that the sign of Jonah is that he died and went down to Sheol for three days and nights, and Yah raised him from the dead. This was the sign Yeshua referred to in Luke 11, 29. Jonah 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, also brought to mind the account of Rachel weeping for her children. And, quote, this is what Adonai says. A voice is heard in Ramah lamenting and bitter weeping. It is Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no longer alive. That comes from Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, 31, 14. And then she quotes again Matthew 2, 18. So it, it refers to that. And that would be the uh, Herod killing off the children. Someone recalled another teaching possibly from the Talmud or religions of the Jews about Joseph praying at her grave along the road to Egypt. Uh, it actually comes from the book of Jasher. They said Joseph spoke to Rachel expecting that she would hear him and that she did and responded. So yeah, so when he's being sold into slavery, I don't know what chapter it is in Jasher. I went over to my Torah portions this year. He's being sold into slavery uh, to the Ishmaelites. Uh, the, I think it was, wait, wait, was it the Moabites to the Ishmaelites or the Ishmaelites to the Moabites? I'd have to refer to that again. But he's he sold in as he's going out to Egypt. He he passes the grave of his mother, who was uh, buried at the death of his younger brother Benjamin, and he runs up there weeping. And like there's this miracle where she's actually weeping in return, and she speaks to him and tells him not to fear that Yahuwah will be with him, which is really interesting to say that because here she is speaking from Sheol, right? comforting him in Sheol. And this would be one of the two miracles in scripture where that I can think of where a person from Sheol is able to awaken and speak to someone. The other would be in uh, when Samuel is called up by the witch of Endor. All right. So her question is, uh, they said, Joseph, okay. Uh, how do we reconcile these ideas with verses like Ecclesiastes 9, 5 through 6, 10, and Psalm 6, 5 through 6, that indicate the dead and she will have no memory or thoughts, uh, hence soul sleep. Could you talk about soul sleep in the context of the MK as well? If Yahusha has already come back and raised the dead to life, what happened to those who died during the short season? That is an excellent question. Um, all right. There's a lot there to go over. I do not have all the scripture in front of me. So I tried to show you know some of this uh, the best I could in the little time I had. But uh, here's, here's the rundown. Um, I am an advocate of soul sleep. Uh, 
I used to be a diehard soul sleeper even before I came to the tour. And I was like, when you die, you you go down in shul, you you lose your uh, memory. It's like you never existed. You're in the sleep and you have to wait for the trumpet blast. You know, it's almost like um, if you can the way I would describe it back then is like if you you go to you go to sleep and you have really good dreams and you have this amazing night of sleep or you have a terrible night of sleep and you're grinding your teeth and you have nightmares right and that's like the difference between the righteous and the wicked right the righteous go down to sleep good times restful but it's when the alarm clock goes off at sunrise right time to get up for work that's like the trumpet blast you wake up i believe this is true i believe that soul sleep was a thing and in fact second Esdras uh, talks about that when a person dies they have seven days where their guardian angel uh just like we saw in visions of paul uh takes them on a tour of the world and they could see um the cosmos but there's also you know these and then at the end of the seven days you're put down to sleep and they said that wicked people would be in torment because they realized they missed out this is it they're going to they, they're not going to get the prize and the righteous people see what the life they live the promise they're going to get and they rest well it's kind of interesting that you're commanded to in a few different places to bury someone within seven days you're really supposed to do it within uh no i'm sorry i misquoted you're supposed to bury someone right away you're supposed to not mourn for them longer than seven days and i personally think that there is a connection between this seven days like you you the reason why you need to bury a body right away is because that kickstarts the seven days I, I i've seen that i quoted that in my torah uh, portions group where we're seeing these things where it's like uh when yaakov died in egypt there was like 40 days that went by and then they had to journey back to canaan and then they buried him and then they mourned seven days i'm like what they didn't bury him in the cave and then once he was finally in his burial place they mourned the seven days and i think that these are the seven days of second address i do think that um you know people can listen in to the things you say about them at the funeral and that kind of stuff they can hear they can hear how people truly feel about them it's almost like something from a, a christmas carol where ebenezer scrooge can actually go into people's homes and hear the nasty things that they how they really feel about them right kind of like ouch right um so there's something there's something to that okay so what second Ezra also promises is that there'd be a time when the messiah would come that sheol would be emptied out of the righteous and that the wicked would be envious of the the righteous because they're gone and they're still in sheol yeah yashrael itself or the the, the children of the ruach hakadesh which is yashrael they would be emptied out and so i believe that in 30 a.d when yahushua hamashiach uh was uh resurrected from the well before he was resurrected right he goes down to sheol and that he freed people and he woke the people up this is one of the big things in the gospel of nicodemus and he took him to paradise so the question is what happens after this if 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 from 30 80 onwards soul sleep is done for the righteous there's no more soul sleep according to that narrative well where do people go well this is what's so interesting about revelation because uh you know I have been accused, you know, people love to pull up, pull up uh, Paul's letters where, you know, he talks about the, the Kinker brothers who are saying the resurrection has already happened. Now, I don't have the context on what was going on there, 
but um, I I think that they were they were probably going around saying we, they missed out on the last trump, right? Uh, the resurrection that happened in 66 AD. And this is one of the things that's so interesting about Revelation where it talks about the souls that are under the altar. And everyone looks at that and goes, well, that's weird. But why are there souls under the altar? Well, I think there was a reset. And I think that uh, when Sheol was empty out, the souls of the righteous could no longer go to Sheol. But they kind of had to go somewhere into another holding cell and when it says that they were under the altar, I don't think it was just figurative. I don't think it's talking about the altar in heaven. Um, it is literally the, the altar under the temple. So let me turn to this really quickly. This is from my book, The Glorious Appearing of Yehusha HaMashiach. This is uh, Josephus talking in the War of the Jews. And in 66 AD, he says, for the sun setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding uh, and surrounding the cities. Now, there are multiple historians that talk about this event. This is what I believe is the glorious appearing of Yehusha HaMashiach. He came with uh, the armies of heaven. And he came to fulfill his promise to, to nab those who he said he was coming for. Well, the interesting that happens next is at Pentecost, he says, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, they said that in the first place, they felt a quaking and heard a great noise. And after that, they heard of a sound as of great multitude saying, let us remove hence. I believe this is a scene directly from Revelation when the they're crying out from under the temple so here we see them literally under the temple there are these souls of the righteous being held there in the temple and they're saying let us remove hence and yahushua responds not yet we haven't met the number yet there's a specific number a specific time i'm coming to get you so uh my my understanding is that at 66 AD, when he came, he nabbed those people and he took them up to uh, wherever they went, either the hidden wilderness or the heaven or paradise. And so what, what happened after that? Well, I don't know. There would be another reset. There would be another reset event. And so I guess that's my question. When we die, do we, uh, do we go to another holding cell until the next reset event? Do we go down to a soul sleep position where we just fall asleep into a rest? Um, that's possible. I don't really know. I don't really know. So, um, but I don't believe we go to Sheol anymore. I think the Sheol has been emptied out. All right. Hopefully that was, uh, hopefully you guys kind of understood all that and uh, putting those pieces of scripture together. Um, all right. Here's another question. If we are in the little season, then who are we, do you think? Children of those cast out or that never went up to learn of his ways or of the rest of the dead brought back? Sean, that is a phenomenal question of which I ask myself all the time and I have no answer to. And um, I almost feel like if I answered the, the, you know, the last part, the rest of the dead brought back. Let me just jump, jump into uh, Revelation again real quick. Revelation chapter 20. 
And it says in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yahusha and for the word of Allah Hayam, in which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, this is where people, of course, say that it happened immediately afterwards, like in 72 AD. And, um, you know, that's where I would bring in, say, well, okay, let's, let's cross-references with these other passages of scripture and see what they have to say on it and you get kind of a, a fuller picture it is afterwards it doesn't say immediately afterwards but yes there was the people of this generation i believe of these 40 years was a a special group of people like the 144,000, right uh that 144,000 guys is just a number it's a number it was a number 144,000 filled uh is there a new number today probably i don't know what it is 300,000, I don't know, 12,000, but it just, you know, Yokanon was telling you there was a specific number for that generation, right? And so I believe that the generation of Yehusha HaMashiach's contemporaries, it's almost like, it's almost like Moshe. So if Yehusha HaMashiach was Moshe, he's leading them into the promised land and he's able to do it because Moshe was not right. But it's the same thing that like the people who shared this generation with me, they're going to co-reign with me. It doesn't have to be right away. It doesn't have to be two years later right it just they're going to co-reign with me when we manifest this to the world they will be they're already going to the kingdom with me they're going to be there they're still guys guess what they're still co-reigning with them okay they haven't they haven't like oh man the thousand years over i guess i'm not co-reigning i guess i'm not a priest and a king anymore like no they, they still are there was just a thousand year window when it was opened up to the world the hidden wilderness as we saw in second Ezra earlier tonight and they reigned with them right all right but moving on uh, they lived with Christ, they reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of Allah, Allah and Mashiach and shall reign with them a thousand years. Um, and so let me read this again, because I think I just glanced right over it. Um, Let's see, that's not it. Hmm. Whatever, it's in here somewhere. I read this earlier tonight and uh, as I was getting ready to maybe address this. But uh, anyways, so the question is, is oh yeah, but the rest of the, of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished, all right? So these are not, these are not the, those who resurrected at the beginning of the low kingdom. They were not the blessed, right? So it says that blessed and holy is he that have part of the first resurrection. So if you're not a part of the first resurrection, you weren't holy, all right? Does that make sense? So the question is, is who are these who are resurrecting at the end? Is the resurrection strictly to judgment uh, before the throne as is typical theology? And that could be, I don't know. Or is it that we are seeing this huge population surge that started particularly in the 1700s and took off by the 1800 where we just saw the earth balloon from like i don't know what was it i have i have the charts i could go look at them they were in the millions to like you know billions of people right in just a couple short centuries and you know you, you just they, they show these charts where like according to official history nothing happened for all of history just flat and then boom 1800 just shoots up right so is this i guess that's the question he's asking is this the time when we're seeing 
the resurrected come back and they are coming back for one more stab at this one more try to get it right i don't really know i don't have the answer to that uh, i'm not going to dismiss the idea because i really don't know so uh yeah okay there's that uh and i i put that out there because you know maybe anybody has more information on that that's something i'm really interested in looking into all right let's see if i can find another question wow i've been at this for an hour and a half this has been fun hopefully i answered the question about the the resurrection timeline and that again so 30 a.d was when i believe Sheol was emptied out of the righteous and then by 66 to 70 a.d is when the next the people that died in the 40 years were they were put underneath the temple and we have contemporary sources like Josephus and uh, not contemporary, I'm sorry, contemporaries of the Bible writers. Um, uh, and we have revelation all kind of matching up that they were released at that time. And then again, I don't know. I don't know where people were put afterwards, but it wasn't sure. That's my opinion. All right. Uh, Mon of letters asked a couple of questions and sorry in advance if you went over these in a video I haven't seen yet. If germ theory is a hoax, how do how do you explain things like antibiotics or tetanus shots or chickenpox or people losing their their sense of taste and smell during the pandemic? I feel that germ theory isn't the truth, but I can't make these things make sense without it. Okay, so um, I'm not going to address that live on YouTube because of the sensitivity of my channel getting taken down. I could just hit a trigger word. I might have even already in that question. So I'll hold this up again. Everybody needs this on their bookshelf. It is the most life-changing book. What really makes you ill? Why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. And it just, you know, goes through the germ theory hoax. And, um, you know, there's a reason, guys, that viruses are cartoons, right? Kind of like satellites in space are cartoons, right? Just something to think about um you know the interesting thing about i will say about chicken pox hopefully i can say this on youtube live since that came up is that chicken pox i kind of see chicken pox like puberty it's actually a rite of passage it's something that all children should go through and so um parents give their children you know something to make chicken pox not happen right because they think they're doing them a favor they're doing they're doing a huge disservice it's like it's like puberty blockers it's essentially the same thing uh, and when a child gets chicken pox that is their body it, when i say a rite of passage it's their body learning to detox and um it's something that every child should go through it's a healthy thing because unfortunately um you know our bodies become so filled with um with poisons and or I should say toxins that, uh, you know, we get cancer and other things like that, where it just overwhelms our body and we die. So uh, you want to start sh shitting that very early on in life. If if you have children and uh, so you have to be careful about saying this, uh, I don't want to give any medical advice, um, but it has, I will say that it is a tradition historically of parents to have chicken pox parties and get all the children together and get it done with so i'll leave it at that how do you and one more question how do you 
find all these extra biblical books and how do you discern whether or not they're true or just some hoax put out there to mislead people? That's an excellent question as well. And I know that in the back of everyone's mind, that's probably what they're thinking. So it is, it is possible that, um, you know, some of these books that I do read could be um, fakes. That's very possible. And uh, I don't dismiss that possibility. So how do I find, okay, I guess, let me just address first. How do I find all these extra biblical books? It started years ago with the book of Enoch, you know, going and finding this, somebody had the book of Enoch on their bookshelf. I'm like, what's this? And pick it up, start reading it. I go, this is amazing. And I go, and I go, like, are there, why isn't this in the Bible? And are there any other books? And I guess they just start falling into play. Oh, there's Jasher and there's, there's Jubilees and, you know, then there's second Esdras. Like Enoch is like the, you know, the gateway marijuana drug, right? It's, it's the gateway into all the extra biblical books. And um, it's, it's kind of just a snowball effect. That's the only way I can describe it. You know, a snowball becoming a, an avalanche where, um, yeah, you kind of have to search them out at first, but then you start finding that, you know, like I said, the gospel of Nicodemus, the, um, the, the gospel of Bartholomew, the, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Philip, the gospel of Mary. And you just, you just, they start like kind of one springs up and then you find two or three more and you start finding all these apocalypse books. And, um, so a lot of times it'll be like, cause you, you just have to get out there and read this stuff yourself. Right. And you, I'll be reading some book, um, and you got to look at the footnotes and they'll, they'll put on there, uh, a reference to like some random book. I'm like, what in the world is this? I've never heard about this before. And I'll go look it up. There are books out there, guys, uh, that have never been translated into English that are ancient books, that scriptural books. And, and just nobody got around to it. So there's a lot more to be found. And um, okay, so there's there's that. I hope that answers that. I mean, it's 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 like with any research, right? Um, there's there's a reason I try not to spread myself too thin because I'll give you guys an example. QAnon. Okay, I'm not I'm not QAnon. I'm not an anon. I have friends who are, and I find their worldview fascinating. I don't agree with all the worldview, but I find it very fascinating. And I don't discredit them. Um, I think that they they they've shown me a lot of stuff. They go, huh? That there's too many coincidences for that not to be true. Um, and but if I were to just jump in and write a paper on QAnon, the 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 QAnon people would go, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, which is true. I wouldn't know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and it's these baby steps, and eventually, you know, you, you just you accumulate enough knowledge and something where I, I, so I know what happens is, is that people come over to my channel and they hear me quoting from all these books and it's overwhelming. And they're like, where in the world are you getting this from dude? And I get it. It's overwhelming. And it just, it comes in time. But the second part of the question is how do you discern whether or not they're true? So uh, for me, what is true? Um, I believe that, uh, yeah, I believe that the Bible is true. All right. Now, if, if somebody says that they don't believe the Bible is true, and I'm just talking about 66 canon at this point. I should say 70 canon because the book of Psalms is actually five books. So it, the canon should be 70 books if you include Psalms as five. Um, anyways, I believe the Bible is true. So if someone says the Bible is not true, that's a whole different discussion. But let's just assume for the moment that to myself and one other person come in the room and are like, okay, the Bible is true. Now, some of the things I love about the Bible is that 
you have the great deluge you have the uh the the incursion of the sons of Hayam over the watchers uh you have the creation account you have the tower of babel all of these can be confirmed all over the world all the different cultures across the world we know they talk about the great deluge and the man who saved his family and climbed on a on a boat right you have it being told in britain and in mexico and south america and you know all over the world asia right you have the tower of babel story being told everywhere you have the incursion story being told everywhere you have the worship of the serpent being told everywhere you have the being told everywhere all over the world you see these consistent themes what's interesting about the bible first first off is that of all, all the incursion stories you have all these stories of these enlighteners coming down the bible is the only one that exposes the watchers as evil uh and that's that's really telling and it's telling you that all these mystery religions all over the world started through the watchers uh that is a huge testimony to its truth to me now another thing about the bible is that it talks about you know there being the satan creature hasatan the, the devil the serpent the the dragon and we know that the elites uh, worship this dark entity we know that i mean that that right there that that proves the the authority of scripture because scripture uh scripture takes all these other world religions and it makes it have more sense contextually well um so the thing about satan is that because he's the accuser the most damage control he can do to us is to give us the truth and then tell us not to do it so he can accuse us how he can't he wouldn't have as much damage control if he hides the truth and then um and then accuses us of not doing it because now we're we're ignorant of it now there's tons of things he hides right we're talking about the millennial kingdom tartaria right all the you know stolen history all this kind of stuff but i'm talking about the torah i'm talking about the law in front the, the first five books of the bible and you have you, you open up your bible and yahuwah gives you the instructions okay I want you to enter a covenant with me. I want to be in a covenant relationship with you. Here's how I, here's the commands I want you to follow. I want you to be obedient to me. And then Satan comes along and it, a lot of people ask me, how can you even know that's true? Or how do you know that hasn't changed? Well, it, it would be, it, it would be to less destruction uh, to us through Satan. If you were to change it, right? He can do the most damage to us by giving us the Torah and then saying it's been done away with. You don't have to keep that anymore. And so now we have, that's him speaking to us, right? Did did God really say, right? Making us question it so that when we actually get to the throne room, he'd be like, sorry, you had the instructions, dude. Why did you listen to me? You shouldn't have listened to me. You had it right there. You should have been doing it all along, you know? Um, so that being said, when I look at books of the Bible, uh, if I looked at extra biblical books, if I look at letters, epistles, all that kind of thing, that's what I'm looking for. Does not whether or not this person's theology is 100% accurate, because I think that humans are flawed in that way and that they do they do make, you know, mistakes based on their own misunderstanding. But do they hold up the commands? Do they hold up the Torah? Because if they hold up the instructions in righteous living, then I'm like, okay, I can follow this now because this person is on team Yahuwah. If I were to read First uh, Clement, I love Clement. I think that should be i wish that was in my bible i love clement i think it was written in the 50s before the new testament uh generation came to an end uh would i put ignatius in there no because that guy hated the torah 
and he hated obedience to the Torah. And he says so over and over again. This guy was like 110 AD. I don't hold that guy as any kind of authority in my life. So that's how I judge uh, the, the truth and not the truth. And one more thing on the truth is that um, I, I say often that I'm wrong about things. And I am. I'm, I'm wrong about many things. And for me, if how do I determine what is the truth? Well, if it brings me more enlightenment. So uh, if I discover something that I've never discovered before, one of two things are going to happen. One is that it's going to expand my worldview and take all these different pieces and put them together and make more sense contextually. Uh, it, it, it will help me take the Bible more literally, or it's going to, I'm going to start walking down this path and it's, my vision is going to start getting darkened and everything's going to start getting muddied. And I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm, I need to back up and you know step back. I'll give you one example of how this happened. And I'm, you know, uh, I know that my my crowd is divided on the Paul issue. Some of you guys are pro-Paul, some are anti-Paul, some of you are kind of in the middle. Uh, I went down the anti-Paul route, and I'm telling you that my vision started. Uh, the anti-Paul crowd advertises over and over and over again. I'm sorry if I'm, I hope I'm not being unfair to anybody, but I was there, and they advertised how they have more clarity. <clears throat> they do not. They do not have more clarity. It is, a, it is a path that led through darkness. It led away from sound uh, doctrine in a, a lot of areas. Um, and I didn't even realize that I had a, a piece that was taken from me, that Yahuwah withheld from me until I returned and uh, wasn't trashing on Paul. And then all of a sudden it, it came back and I asked for repentance and uh, I asked for forgiveness. I repented of what I had done and it came back to me stunningly. And by not totally dismissing him as some evil guy um, and, you know, treating him as a, as a human who is fallible, could make mistakes, but as potentially as a, a Torah obedient person, I actually get a lot more clarity. Um, and uh, yes, there's a lot of tensions there, but, you know, that's life. You know, the Bible has a lot of tensions in it. I actually like tension. Um, and I'm actually preparing a, a study right now on Galatians. Uh, I can't wait to give it to you guys. All right. Uh, another question by J.D. Powell. Let me just check in here. Was there anyone asking questions? I see a lot of comments. Not sure if there's anything directed at me specifically. Jesus loves you for all eternity. says, I'm a QAnon person. So, okay, cool. Awesome. I, I love when uh, you should join our, if you're not in our Discord group, come on a Friday night at 7 p.m. when I'm there live to talk to everybody and you guys can talk back to me. It's not just me, you know, talking one way. And I love to hear the news of what's going on in, in QAnon land. Uh, I get my news from, you know, from you guys. So uh, come by and tell me what the latest is. I love to hear it. All right. So another question. Okay. This is kind of interesting. J.D. Powell said, where and with whom did the modern MK uh, Millennial Kingdom hypothesis originate? Seems to be a very hot topic on the interwebs these days. Yes, it is. I could not tell you who originated it. Um, I, I really couldn't. And so back when I started promoting it in 2020, at that time, I did not know another living soul who was. I thought I was the only one. And I, I when I put out there... Uh, that the resurrection happened in 70 AD. You guys can go back and see. It was like a podcast. And I put it on YouTube back in 2020. 
Um, I had written the article first that came out probably a couple months earlier. It came out in the summertime of 2020. I lost a lot of friends over that one. I mean, there were there were people flipping out. People said I lost it, uh, that I was, you know, like apostate and all that. I mean, just people just flipping out. Like we thought you were a truther and all. You're, you know, you're threw it all away, all that kind of stuff. And um, and I didn't know anybody else having that discussion. It was it was kind of a lonely time and people started showing up in 2021. And again, now I'm hearing reports of other people around the same time. 2020 was seemed to be the year and they started looking into it. Now, keep in mind, I was, you know, into, I guess you call it preterism. I had, you know, noticed years earlier, this, just because you're a preterist doesn't mean you believe the millennial kingdom physically happened, right? And that's the big twist to this. Uh, but I, years ago, I started, you know, I, I'm watching all these truthers out there talking about revelations about to happen and the seals and the trumpets and all oh, the horses have been released. And, you know, it's like, you could say the same thing in the American Civil War, World War II. And I'm just looking at this going, no, you just, you guys keep making this up and you just keep throwing it out there in these YouTube videos. And it's like, it's like, no. And I started noticing this language of how like the New Testament was written with this this sense of urgency, like, you know, Yahushua's coming back for that generation. I'm like, what do you do with this? Because I believe that, but I didn't know what to do with the millennial kingdom. And, you know, it was obviously with the mud flood, Tartaria, where all that came to be. So uh, it seemed like there was, you know, quite a few of us at the same time. And um, I'm expecting, you know, more and more uh, people are going to be cropping up now. And, you know, y'all bless them. And I, I hope they can come in and uh, rather than muddying the uh, conversation by just taking all people's different random research and making it out like it's their own and kind of, you know, just kind of getting these arguments about he said, she said, whatever. Um, I, I would love it if, um, you know, people coming in could, you know, come up with some, um, you know, original stuff. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where it originated, to be honest. I get asked that question a lot, actually. All right. Let's see what else we got here. I might have another question. Oh, yeah. Douglas asked me this question. He said, can he said, hope there's still time for one more question. People were writing this into me on Discord before I went live. He said, can you please explain the term spiritual sacrifice? And um, <laughs> I, I, I think I see where he's going with this. And my guess is that he's referring to 1 Peter chapter two yeah first peter chapter two in which it says in verse four uh to whom uh to whom coming as unto a living well let me just start back i'll, I'll do verse one just to get context here wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings i think right there actually answers this question as newborn babes desired the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby if so be have tasted that the that uh Yahuwah is gracious now um interesting here that guys what is the word back then it, it wasn't paul's letters it wasn't peter's letters it wasn't even the gospels it was the torah all right like yeah the gospels have probably been circulating around by this time but it was the torah okay so he's saying if you're new into this go back to the word the torah and take that in all right. Uh, before you start coming up with all your opinions and your, you know, and, you know, getting in arguments about this and that and all that, just go back and 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 uh, feed on that. 
to whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of Allah and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. There it is, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Allah by Yahusha HaMashiach. So um, the question is, is what is a spiritual sacrifice? Now, um, we were just having this discussion in my group last week and and somebody asked me what i thought about the atonement particularly if um if you couldn't use paul to describe the atonement um you know how would you describe it? well actually peter and and Yochanan or john uh describe it just as paul does they say that uh yahushua hamashiach let me see if i could turn here first john three and there's a point to this. Um, maybe it's actually John 2. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let me try First John 2 here. Uh, don't you just love it when I'm live and... Okay, whatever. He says that you, uh, the Messiah came uh, to bring to uh, to save us from our sins. Oh yeah, okay. So verse four: Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth transgresseth also the Torah, for sin is the transgression of the Torah. So he defines sin for us there. Uh, and it, apparently Yochanan didn't get the memo that the Torah was done away with. Ha ha. And you know that he was manifested. He's talking about Mashiach. He was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So, so he's talking about the atonement there. And Yahushua HaMashiach uh, taking away our sins. So what does it mean that he was the sacrifice for our sins? What does it mean that he took away our sins? And that's that's a big question. Because if you come from a typical Purit uh, Protestant background, you say, you know, he was the final sacrifice. There was nothing else. That's it. That he he was the sacrifice, um, but then there's you know there could be theological issues with that as well as can a man actually be a sacrifice, right? Um, so I don't have all the issues. I will point out uh, Sean Griffin at Kingdom in Context. One thing I, I I love about the conversation he's having is that he's one of the only guys out there uh, giving the opinion that Yahusha Hamashiach is still sacrificing not in the catholic sense like he's on the cross you know dying daily but he's still sacrificing animals meaning he wasn't the last sacrifice that uh that he is because there was no sin in him he was able to uh rise to the rank of the high priest he was able to take that position and now uh he does it for us now from where i'm sitting because i can't tell you I don't know. I don't know if that's true or if he literally was a last sacrifice, hence the atonement. Um, but nothing, in my opinion, nothing nothing has changed from Old Testament times to New Testament times in the sense that I'm not the high priest. I cannot go in there and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. The high priest did that. The high priest went in there every year, day of atonement, did it for the sins of Yasharel. So if you were a member of Yasharel, if you were a Hebrew, you had to put your faith in the high priest. You had to say, my high priest did this for me. All right. 
So now Yahushua HaMashiach is our high priest, and we say, he did this for us. He may still be doing it for us. I don't know. But my faith is in him, that he's my high priest. He's got me taken care of. I can point the finger in his direction and say, he's got this. I can't. I cannot do the atoning sacrifice, but he can. All right. So if he's got it covered now, the idea is, is that uh, as a... As a priest, and we are all kingdom priests, that yes, we do not do sacrifices, right? We do not sacrifice animals. There is no temple for us to go to to do it. Um, and Yahushua HaMashiach is doing it for us. So this brings back around to the spiritual sacrifices. Um, I believe that spiritual sacrifices are how we live our lives. And this is why um, I stated earlier tonight that we, if we want to make it, not just in this life but eternally we have to desire and want we want to have the joy we want to desire serving uh yahushua hamashiach and so our high priest and that is in our attitude it's in our prayer life it is in our giving it is in how we treat other people so going back to for uh peter here let me just rephrase this come on now back to first john Back to First John three. Okay, First Peter two, and he says, so th this is what he's telling you here, leading up to the spiritual sacrifices. He's saying, lay aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. So stop speaking evilly, evil about your brothers in the faith, your brothers and sisters. Um, stop envying them. Stop your hypocrisies where you say you're doing one thing, but you're doing another, right? Where you're saying you're maybe being obedient and you're not. Stop the hypocrisies. Uh, stop the malice and the guile, so on and so forth. And he says, um, just, does, just go back to the word and, and, um, and you know, take in the milk. But to quote Yahushua HaMashiach, he talks about how in, the terms of a, in terms of a sacrifice, he says, I would rather you go and make up with the brother you have wronged, make make up with him before you come to the sacrifice. I don't want your sacrifice if you can't do that. So I believe that would be an example of a spiritual sacrifice. Hopefully that answered the question the best uh, best I could. Uh, and. Um, <clears throat> Jenny mentions here, um, not I wasn't quite sure on the context of this, but she said, thank you for sharing that, Noel. Not sure, not sure what I shared that is being thanked, but I've been struggling with understanding why I felt um, absence of peace and disconnected from y'all. I've been confused since being shunned by my former fellowship. So I'm not sure if that's the uh, Paul statement or what. Um, let's see. And I like what uh what Stephanie uh, I think Stephanie told me not to post her comments, but I actually like this comment. She said, "Just do the Sabbath, simple, easy, and peace for those of us set apart from the Father through the Son and Ruach." I fully agree, guys. Like, the Sabbath is the gateway. This isn't difficult research. Like, <clears throat> people rebel against doing the Sabbath. People, there are people out there who hate my ministry. And they do not, you know, they'll say if you do the Sabbath, you're a Judaizer. What in the world are they talking about? Like, show me a chapter and verse in the Bible 
show me a chapter and verse where the Sabbath was done away with. And they'll say, well, Jesus resurrected from the down on Sunday. So what? So what if he resurrected on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Friday, right? <laughs> Actually, it, it could be argued whether he did resurrect on a Sunday. But the point is, is that it doesn't say to stop doing Sabbath because he resurrected on that day. Just there's something very spiritual about this. It is literally a spiritual paradigm. Keep the Sabbath. It is the mark of Yah. It didn't cease becoming the mark of Yah. And all it takes is a little research to see that the Roman Catholic Church, anyone who still keeps the Sunday, guys, anyone who still keeps the Sunday, uh, Sunday worship is under the Roman Catholic Church. It is the beast system. It is under their authority. They, it is under their authority that they change the day. They admit to it. It's in writing. It takes all but five to 10 to 15 minutes to look that up and research and go, oh my goodness, I need to start keeping Yah's uh, law on this. It's the fourth commandment. It's literally the fourth commandment. People tell me all the time, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I, I, uh, Jesus is my rest, they quote Hebrews. And so, you know, I, I rest in him. I don't need to keep the Sabbath. You know, my, my Sabbath is what I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Do you not sleep? Because he's your bread and your water too. You do not eat and drink. Uh, it's, it's like, no, you need rest. You need physical rest. That, that it's made for man. It is a day we are commanded to slow down and rest and not take our kids to, you know, soccer camp and go get a, a mochaccino, mochaccino, whatever, a, you know, vanilla, a, I would, you know, a, I don't know, espresso, cappuccino, you know, whatever, not go shopping at the, the, the uh, farmer's market. No, it is a day to rest, uh, to not work. It's a command. It makes it very clear. Read the fourth. It's in the Ten Commandments. What happens is, is when the reason why there's such a, an attack on the Sabbath is because people know that when you start keeping the Sabbath, the rest starts falling into play. And people are like, "What? There's these seven holy days on the menorah. I'm supposed to keep those two. What? I'm supposed to eat clean. You know, it, it, it's not supposed to eat bacon. That kind of, it all starts falling into play." Um, and so that's why there's a big, big, big spiritual assault on the Sabbath. Just keep the Sabbath, guys. And Douglas, I'm glad to hear he says, uh, yes, that totally answers my question. and gives me a ton to meditate on. Thanks, Noel. So let me also say this about um, the people, the anti-Paul crowd are going to say I'm being unfair. Um, and one of the big accusations that is thrown out there is that when you, and they will scoff at this. When you throw out Paul, your your next is to throw out Messiah. Um, now there are many people who throw out Paul, and they live many many years. They live decades of the life they they cling to Messiah. All right. So I don't want to be unfair, but I have found that there is a line of thinking that um, that connects with that. And um, one of them is the atonement. You know, because Paul has a lot of theology on the atonement. And then I start hearing these uh, discussions of like. Um, well, what if, um, Yahusha wasn't an atonement and he was just murdered. He was just a guy murdered. And you start getting into like, you know, you start going into, well, maybe he was actually just a dude and he didn't become the Messiah until his baptism, you know, and, and you, you start asking these questions, you start going down this path. And then pretty soon, um, you get to just, you, you, you just look at the Torah and guys, the Torah does actually, the covenant of the Torah at Sinai actually does not um, promise salvation. 
read it again. It doesn't promise our salvation. It does promise a blessing and a curse, um, but the the salvation was still lingering on you know on our on our Savior on our Messiah. That's something I'll probably get into into um, in Galatians, and a lot of people misunderstand Paul. But the thing is with Paul is that now we have. I want to make clear we have at Tuck Discord a Paul room. You can go in there and be open about discussing why you're for or against Paul. We all get along in there. It's great. Just show your evidence. You know why you believe what. Uh, it, you know, I'm, everyone is free to their opinion. I'm free to mine. I have shown that what really what really shocked me with Paul was that in the book of Acts, the whole narrative is is false accusations. And Paul was being falsely accused of advocating that the Torah was done away with. He was falsely, and that's the whole point. That's why Stephen was stoned. He was falsely accused for doing away with the Torah. Well, that's a huge glaring uh, issue for Christians who are like, well, we did away with the Torah, but Stephen is saying he didn't, and the Jews are falsely accusing him. And so to say that Paul actually did away with the Torah, I found is actually lining up with the accusations of the Jews. It's actually agreeing with the Jews who were putting him on trial and trying to stone him over and over again for doing away with the Torah. Um, and so I started seeing that and um yeah and i he's one of those he's I, whatever I'll, I'll get into it in the galatian study i don't want to go down that route right now uh, i'm really looking forward to giving it and i do believe i do believe that paul is a test i do believe there's a reason he's at the end of the book um i think that he was put there i i'm starting to appreciate him more and more and more as uh, a divine enigma he was literally put there by by our father to to see who loves him, to see who's paying attention in class, and will you pass the test at the end of it? Um, I think it was all put there for a purpose. Um, so, uh, okay. Well, I'm not seeing many other questions. Um, <clears throat> I had a few other things I wanted to share, I think, or maybe I covered everything. It's been a couple hours, and I hope you guys enjoyed this. I have a lot of people watching right now. It's kind of interesting. Um, anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this, and uh, I'll, I'll do more of these Q&As. If that's something you guys are interested in, please let me know. If you would like to see more of these, just you know, send me the comments. And uh, please come in here, ask me questions. There's a lot of people viewing right now, not many people asking questions. And so for those of you who missed out at the beginning, before I close, I do want to point this out that I completed this week uh, two uh, Torah portion study guides. And I completed Bereshith, that'd be Genesis, and Shemawath, that would be Exodus. And this is something I've been wanting for years. This is designed this for anybody who's, who uh, subscribes to the ministry, who partners with us financially um, and, and donates. They will, you can, you can get this. This is intended for your study uh, purposes, for your family, and also for your small group. So what these do is, is that these these go by the Torah portions, and you can see. Uh, let me get to it here. Okay, it just wasn't loading. I was like, why are there so many blank pages? Let me go back here. I was whizzing through this so fast. 
So here we see uh, Shemot, the first Torah portion of Exodus. And you see the King James lined up with the Paleo-Hebrew. The Paleo-Hebrew comes from uh, the translation from Pamela, which, which, which we've been going through here at, at the Unexpected Cosmology. And I line up with the King James on purpose because a lot of people are a little um, you know, hesitant or maybe a little timid of the names, right? The, 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 the correct names. And they don't know what to do with them. And so here you can have the King James. It's an established book. It's a great book, the King James. And you could kind of look back and forth. You can compare the, of course, the King James comes from the Hebrew Masoretic. So you can compare the Hebrew Masoretic to the Paleo-Hebrew. And not only that, uh, I'm going to have to scroll slowly because this is not picking up. Once you get through the through these, then you jump right into the Aramaic Targum and the Greek Septuagint. So you got the Hebrew Masoretic, the Paleo, the Aramaic, and the Greek all lined up all the torah portions you could you know jump around for your bible it's all for your research for your bible studies and then at the end of these as well i give the extra torah portions uh like the uh, the gospels and the the prophets and i recommend all you guys you come print them out you can get uh physical books and come and buy pick them up and i also wanted to go over with you guys the fundraiser i didn't do this at the beginning and I really like to thank everybody. In just uh, less than a week, I was able to raise the full amount that I needed for the month of February. And uh, I was thinking maybe there'd be some questions about that tonight and uh, people wanting to ask more. I, I want to be very transparent about this. And there will be more details in the coming weeks. I'll give you guys some more information. Uh, it says 6,465. Actually, with the, there were some, uh, you can actually see here that I added in nine. Uh, a couple thousand dollars and there were others that came through it actually makes just over um just over seven thousand dollars i just i just reached the goal and um i also saw that a lot of you have subscribed to patreon every month we went up a few hundred dollars per month in subscribers and i thank you for that so what i'm going to do is um you know i'm going to give it a couple weeks and I want to see what we have. And then I'm going to have to start probably another fundraiser again uh, for March. And, you know, to be able to feed my family and, you know, to continue at this. I have a lot prepared for the Unexpected Cosmology. I hope to be around for many more years. I hope to be uh, leading uh, spiritually, you guys, and, you know, pointing these books out to you and encouraging people to take that deeper step of obedience uh, in holiness, uh, set apart lifestyle uh, by being obedient to the commands. Um, so yeah, so I would give it a couple of weeks and then we'll see what I have, what I need. Somebody just sent in, um, you know who you are, so sent in a, a lovely $2,000 donation. And so that's $2,000 for March. So when I present to you guys, whatever I need for the month of March in a couple of weeks, I'll deduct that and whatever else comes in. So, uh, yeah, Patreon, um, uh, PayPal, all those things, guys, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate just the love and support that you guys have given to me and, just an outpouring of love. And I know that a lot of you have been writing me privately and, and saying, you just, you don't want to see me go. You want to see me stick around. And if you guys, if anybody missed out on that conversation, uh, you know, this isn't like I'm, you know, holding anyone hostage here, but it's, you know, I have given of myself for a very long time, just research and just pouring it out on you guys week after week, these 70 page, you know, 
documents. I didn't ask for anything in return. Um, but it got to the point where this has become a full-time ministry. And of course, I'm supporting uh, Rebecca, who runs the store. She's an amazing asset. She has uh, made TUC grow in phenomenal ways, ways people can't uh, see or understand. Um, so I support her. And then on top of that, I have now have to support my family. My wife and I have just agreed that we're uh, going to be a single income household and we're not going to be, we're not going to have two parents working anymore. And so it's either I survive here or I go get a job somewhere else and I hang up the hat uh, or hang up, I should say, hang up the, the notebook and the pen. And I don't want to do that. This is where my talent is. This is where Yah has called me. And um, I, I believe this is where I'm supposed to be. So thank you, everyone, for your support. Before I go, I just want to see if there's any more questions in here. Um, well, uh, Simeon Tribe, you say you have a question. Please ask if you have a question. Um, speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, uh, just jumping back in the Paul bandwagon real quickly, Lisa talks about, you know, she says, my faith doesn't rely on Paul, but if your faith does rely on him, that could be bad. Yeah, I, I, I hope you guys understand that when I take my position, you know, a man has to make a decision on life. A man has to take a position. You have to weigh the evidence. Sometimes you might just say, I don't know. Um, and at the end of the day, I guess I don't really know Paul. I really don't. I've said this before that, you know, I'll be thrilled if I make it into the kingdom. I, I don't see myself as someone like, you know, I, I am not the standard, right? I'm not the standard. I'll be thrilled if I, if, if I make it into the kingdom, you guys are going to see me just face down on the ground, you know, like, like wet noodles. Like I'm not going to be moving in. And somebody, like after like 10 years have passed or something like that, someone's going to have to come along and like hand me a beer and be like, okay, you can get up now, dude. You know, you've been laying there long enough. You've made it. You're cool. Uh, like, I'm just going to be so thrilled. It's almost like in the movies where you see like somebody swimming for miles towards the island and, you know, because the ship sunk and they finally, they, they reach the shore and they just, they, they don't even make it up the beach and they just collapse and the waves are still coming over them, the high tide. But they just later like I made it right. That that's how I'm gonna feel if I make it into the kingdom. Just glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Husha, uh, for saving me. Um, and uh, because clearly you did this, I didn't do this. Um, all that being said, if somebody points out and be like, uh, yeah, um, you know, Paul didn't make it, I'll be sad. I will, but I'll, I'll I think I'll get it. Like yeah, I, I saw it. I I saw the reasons why. All right. Um, but that being said too, is when I give him, there, there's multiple ways of looking at an argument. And, um, a lot of times the anti-Paul crowd, they have these facts in front of them. They have all these pieces of evidence and they just can't see it in any other light. Like how people ask, write this to me all the time. No, you're, you're so enlightened. How come you can't see Paul? You know, how come you, and it's like, I could see what you're talking about, but that's not the only way to look at it. There are other ways to look at this. And I think that it, it's, um, to, to have these kind of investigations, you need, I think it's important 
to look at it from various angles. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I found that, so maybe, you know, I don't want to come down on anybody who is anti-Paul. If you are strong in the faith, you are following Messiah's words only as he uh, leads us into the Torah. Great. Awesome. There, there's, there is nothing wrong with that because I think that Paul was a dude who wrote letters and, you know, it's like, maybe what if his letters didn't end up in the Bible or maybe one or two of them ended up and maybe some more of the apostles letters, uh, ended up that would have been awesome right um it is what it is and maybe that's just a journey that some of you guys need to go down um uh, but um anyways yeah i i think that he is he is misconstrued i think he's a patsy i think that the historical paul was probably never truly understood by the 12 i do believe that i think that uh he was uh considered shady as hell to most uh, first century Christians around the Jerusalem area. I think he saw more success the further he got away from Jerusalem out in the outlying uh, Goim areas with people maybe who didn't have as much experience. Um, but the the thing is, is that if he did legitimately, legitimately uh, convert and that he wasn't a plant by the Pharisees or the Herodians, that that number one is he was a flip-flopper. He was, he betrayed the Pharisees. He was their boy. And now that he is enemy number one, and they're going to hunt and hound that guy down. One thing that never really made sense to me was that if he was an apostate from the Torah and he was telling people that, that the Torah is done away with, it's like, why in the world are the Jews going to be following this guy around at this point? Like he's, he's going to the Goyim. He's not even going to the Jews. He's going to the Goyim guys, the Gentiles. They're like, great, fine, go to the Gentiles. Just create your own religion. We don't care. He just he's just a dude creating a new religion at this point. But they're they're hounding this guy down. They do not want to bring he they do not want Paul bringing the Gentiles into the their faith, the Torah. All right. Um, but I do think that the apostles, the, the Jerusalem group, Yaakov, that'd be James, and of course Kepha and the others, I think that they were probably mistrusting of him. I, I don't think that you know, and there were people who probably never really forgot what he did. Um, and does that prove that he was uh, a bad guy? No, it doesn't prove that. So a lot of people are distrusting of me. I mean, you know, and, and here's the thing too, guys. So you know how I made the comment that, that if I make it into the kingdom, I'll be like so relieved, like thrilled. Sometimes I wonder that when people throw Paul under the the false apostle bus and they'll be like well I disagree with this and I he was wrong on this and it, sometimes I wonder like do you guys judge Paul the way you judge yourself because because from where I'm sitting you're wrong about a lot of stuff and I'm wrong about a lot of stuff so now I'm in trouble because if he would literally was a dude trying to instruct people maybe he got some things wrong okay I mean like he a lot of these early church fathers got things wrong guys it doesn't mean that they were not righteous people they just got things wrong and i get things wrong i mean what does that mean for me it means i have no hope right um so that's one of the, i think people misconstrue when he talks about apostle being an apostle i was looking into this rather recently and he he hands apostleship over to everybody i mean he's like if you are sent out you're an apostle the, the word uh, uh, 
apostle was not created by Christianity. It was not created by the Jews. It goes back hundreds of years earlier, the, the idea of an emissary for a king who is given a directive, a, a, a message to tell a group of people is an apostle. By that standard, Moshe, Moses, he was an apostle. He was given a directive, a prerogative, a, a specific message to tell Pharaoh and the people of Yasharel from the king, he was an apostle. Uh, so, um, yes, there are the 12 apostles, but then there were hundreds of apostles. There were the 12 disciples, but there were hundreds of disciples. You know, one of the disciples was Mary Magdalene, according to uh, Bezora Kepha, the Gospel of Peter. She was a disciple. So now we have a problem because now we have more disciples than the 12, right? So uh, the 70, the 70 who were sent out, guys, they were apostles. They were sent out. They were apostles. Um, so again, it, you know, not, there were probably so many apostles going around. Probably a lot of them didn't agree with each other. They didn't have all the answers. They were fallible people just like us. That's my opinion on Paul. Uh, so I read his letters. I, I have the freedom to go, Paul, I, I think that you were upholding the Torah. I think you were pointing to people, the Torah. There's a couple quotes he does say where I like, I disagree. Like, uh, he says like nature attests to like, you know, long, like I have long hair, right? And it's like, if you go out to nature and you're like, dude, Paul, like all the dudes in nature, all the animals, all the, the males, they're the ones with the long hair. <laughs> uh, like a lion's mane is a classic example, but yeah, whatever. Um, so there's some things I disagree with what he says that he's trying to make a point. He's speaking in his logic. He, he botches some points, um, but it, I give him the grace for that. All right. That was enough of my Paul rant for the for the nights. I have plenty more of that coming in my Galatians study. Um, so let's see. All right, uh, I don't see any. I don't see any questions. Yeah, thank you everyone who um, does support my work, and. Um, I'm just rambling at this point. I could keep rambling for hours. I mean, if somebody, seriously, I, I can talk longer if somebody has a question. If somebody wants to ask me something, I went through all the, uh, um, so yeah, uh, I actually fully agree with um, Jenny's point here. And she says, I don't think Paul was ever speaking against the Torah. I think the Pharisees created confusion about Paul, and I, I'm, uh, I'm in full agreement with this. So uh, I'm going to answer. Kevin asked this question. He says, "How can Paul be considered a heretic?" So I'll give Paul. I'll give you. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, Kevin, you're not Paul. Kevin, I'll give you the the reason why he's considered a heretic in a second here. But let me just go up here, and so. That's the, the whole thing about the book of Acts. And I said this earlier tonight that in my investigation, I started looking into the, the Pharisees hounding Paul down and the accusations they were constantly throwing at him is that you were doing away with the Torah. It was the same false accusation they gave to Stephen. Steve, they were saying Stephen did away with this Torah. And he's like, no, I'm actually not. Right now, that's a problem for Christianity when Christianity does do away with the Torah. But now they're actually agreeing with the Jews who had him stoned based on Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13 basically says you're to stone him. So if Stephen did do it with the Torah, then being stoned was a just death. 
but he didn't do away with the Torah. Neither did Yehusha HaMashiach. Now, these were the accusations being thrown at Paul, and I do believe, and that's the conclusion I came to, to say that Paul did away with the Torah is actually in agreement with the Jews. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I would now be in agreement with the Pharisees, the temple controllers, uh, as they were going around saying this. That's the whole, the narrative of the book of Acts. So to answer your uh, question uh, or your statement, uh, Kevin, and this is a good question because I think a lot of people are coming into this conversation are completely confused on why people are throwing Paul out. So, <clears throat> I, and I'll be talking about this in my introduction to Galatians in the, the book of uh, Deuteronomy. It's called the Deuteronomy 13 test. Let me just turn there now. Let me just go ahead and read this for you guys. So going back up here to Bible Hub. 13. All right. And now I actually want to start in the last sentence of um, verse 12, because it says, what things soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not there add thereto nor diminish from it. This is how Revelation ends. It's, and he's saying, Yahuwah is saying, do not add to the Torah. Do not add one command to the Torah and do not take away one command from the Torah. I command this of you that you observe and do this. All right. So that's the context. And then he says this. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. Isn't that interesting that false prophets uh, can um, give true prophecies or true wonders or true signs? And I would actually add to this and say that the mark of a true prophet is not whether or not everything comes to pass. The mark of a true prophet is whether or not he's pointing us to the truth of the Torah. All right. Remember, that was one of Jonah's concerns that he prophesied that Nineveh would come to an end. And he was really upset because he's like, great, now it's not coming to an end. And I said it was coming to an end. Anyways. So if the sign and the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh, your Al-Hayam, proveth you. He wants to prove that you are worthy or you know, true. To know whether ye love Yahweh, your Al-Hayam, with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the whole thing. So this is the point of, of Paul right here. All right. He puts it, he, he puts him at the end of the Bible and says, look. You've just been given this whole course on obey me, obey me. Just guard the commands. Don't drop the commands. So he he gives the commands at Sinai. What happens? The rebellion kicks in. People are like, we don't want to do this. Korah's rebellion. They're killed. And then, then they get into the land. They all rebel against it. The prophets come up. The prophets are like, look, just obey the commands. Just obey the commands. Just repent and obey. They kill them. The prophets are killed off because the people don't want to obey the commands. Then Yehusha HaMashiach shows up. He's like, just do not diminish one jot or tittle. Just obey the least of these commands. Don't add to it. Just obey the Father's commands. Guys, the yoke is easy. The burden is light. It's not that complicated. They kill the guy. They kill Yehusha HaMashiach because he says, just obey my father, right? And then all of a sudden, Paul shows up, and this is the bait. And Paul's like, you don't have to keep it anymore. And it was like, yeah, finally, right? So th this is what we're talking about, the Deuteronomy 13 test, all right? This is why people are throwing him, under the, uh, throwing him out. Um, okay, so 
Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahuwah your uh, Alhayam proveth you to know whether ye love Yahuwah your Alhayam with all your heart, with all your soul. Ye shall walk after Yahuwah. You know how like, we're supposed to walk as Yahusha walks? Your Alhayam and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he had spoken to turn you away from Yahuwah, your al -Hayam. This is why Stephen was uh, stoned. This was the accusation that he didn't pass the Deuteronomy 13 test. Which he actually did, but you guys get my drift. Which brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which Yahuwah, your al -Hayam, commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Um, all right. So the idea here is that if... Uh, and that I read the context. I mean, it's very clear here that if you are to drop his commands, uh, you're now following another God, another Elohim. Alayam has these, this law. It is eternal. It is the law of heaven. It is the Torah. And so if, um, if Paul came along and told people not to keep it anymore, that he has been given a vision and authority from uh, from God and that he has these dreams and these visions and they say not to do it anymore, that he is a false prophet not to listen to him. This is why people, this is why the discussion is coming up. So I don't think it's a, a crazy conversation because you have all of Christendom uh, saying we don't have to keep the Torah anymore because of who? Because of Paul. They don't point to Yahushua HaMashiach. They don't point to Moses. They don't point to Elijah or Isaiah or the 12 disciples. They point to Paul. Now, my position is that Paul did teach the Torah and that he did not tell people to turn it away. But I can understand why people um, are, you know, throwing them out. So I hope that explained that. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. All right. So, yeah. So, but, well, okay. So just, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, the thing is, is that the Torah is eternal. I'll give you one simple uh, example. I said this earlier tonight. Uh, the Sabbath. When was the Sabbath? I want a chapter and verse. When was the Sabbath done away with? The Sabbath is eternal. It's for all generations. Actually, the whole Torah is for our sons, 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 sons to be taught for all generations. Uh, but there is no chapter and verse where it says the Sabbath was moved to Sunday. People say, well, he was resurrected on a Sunday. Okay, so what? So what if he was? Nowhere in there does it say change the Sabbath to Sunday. It doesn't say that. And so the, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, by their own authority, they state that they were the ones to change uh, Sabbath to Sunday. And so I would... Really, for all the people out there pointing out how evil Rome is, I just want to point out the irony that anyone who still keeps, who snubs the Sabbath day of Yahuwah and keeps Sunday is still under the spiritual authority of Rome. And I think as truthers, I think I mean, it doesn't take much research to come to that conclusion. Like it, the paperwork is there. Everybody can go look this up for themselves. Simple Google keyword searches. They mocked Martin Luther for still being under their Sabbath day on Sunday. Uh, but it comes down to a spiritual thing. And I think, they're, they're, you know, the Sabbath is a, a mark. It is the mark of Yahuwah versus the mark of the beast. And that's just, and nobody wants the mark of the beast, but very few people want the mark of Yahuwah. Um, and it's eternal. So, all right. Um, 
All right, so it looks like a whole conversation has broken out on that. I've said my piece. And um, it looks like there's no more questions. Um, wait, let's see, what was this? All right. All right, guys. Love you guys. And uh, I, I enjoyed this tonight. Hopefully you guys did too. And again, I'll do this more often. Maybe I'll do this next week. If this is something you guys would like, let me know. And um, ending it here tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Uh, Discord talk. Come on in. Talk to me. 9 p.m. I'll be doing tour portions. And then at 11 p.m. Eastern time, I will be giving my presentation on the rod of Yahuwah, or also known as the rod of Moses and Excalibur and showing how there's a connection with the millennial kingdom. So good night, everybody.